What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up Ship Podcast, episode 99. Uh, and today I'm talking to the artist formerly known as Chief Andrew, now uh, uh, Ensign Andrew. <laughs> he commissioned pretty recently in the Supply Corps, went through all the schools and all the things uh, after being selected uh, to go to OCS. That's how he... Uh, whatever they call it, like was selected or ascended or whatever. The, I forget the word. There's a word commonly used and I'm blanking, but uh, he was selected for an officer program and it was for OCS because he already had his, I believe, master's degree. He talks about it. Um, he had his master's already. Uh, and so he was, he didn't have to go to school. He just had to uh, get selected for the program and then go through like the Navy specific schools. Uh, and so we talk about all that. It was I thought it was super interesting. He went from being a, a corpsman chief to a supply officer. And so we got into that. Like, why? Like, how did you end up selecting that? Because like, you know, in your logical mind, you think maybe MESEPs or like the or nursing or the medical administration stuff or whatever. But um, but yeah, so he gets in all that. He gets into a lot of the a lot of the stuff people are super unaware of about like how OCS works. Um, what the experience is like, because I've, I've perceived some of it when I was in the senior enlisted academy as being pretty bizarre because they have RDCs there and like they're officer candidates. And so it's really interesting uh, to kind of learn about that whole experience, what it's like, some of the lessons he took away from it. Uh, and then we get into some other uh, leadership development stuff, like some of his fears uh, about going into uh, his first uh, leadership position as an officer on a big deck. Um, it's his first ship ever in his entire naval career because he was a corpsman on the green side and then clinics and stuff. So, yeah, it's it's fun. Uh, and it's always cool talking to uh, Andrew. In lieu of ever having a sponsor, I've basically created my own. If you want to support us, go to dgutsapparel.com. So don't give up the ship apparel. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Dguts Apparel. Uh, it's Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. I went out of my way to create some really awesome stuff that I think you'll really enjoy. And it's some stuff that I think you'll actually wear. Uh, I hate all the stuff in the Navy Exchange section. I hate a lot of the stuff I see on social media where some somebody's side hustle is creating like nauseating gear that no one actually wants except for like crusty old retirees, which I'm about to be. So I don't know if I should uh, talk smack, but anyway, uh, go check it out. Dgutsapparel.com. If you want to support us, that's the best way to do it. And I would really appreciate it. Uh, and you know, getting in all those things and then feel free to, uh, get a hold of him and pester him about when the next foundations episode is coming because I want to know too. <laughs> and with that, I hope y'all enjoy this. Check it out. Yeah, man. So what's what's up? Tell me about all the things. A lot has changed since we did the first one that changed. was just you yeah. and me. Like you've done yeah. the foundation stuff since, but like, yeah, a lot has changed. So tell me tell me what you've That's, been up to. Yeah, it's been a bit, man. Um, so got uh put in a pack as a result of all the conversations that we had uh at that last episode, um kind of pushed me to put in an officer package and I ended up getting selected um, first time up, which is pretty, pretty sweet. It turns out it's a lot harder to make chief than it is to, to become an officer. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess it, dep it depends on your community, I guess, but largely I would assume it's probably harder <laughs> for Corman. For yeah, sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> <you guys> are... <laughs> uh, so yeah, I got, got picked up for that and uh, went to OCS last September Mm -hmm. um graduated december and then i went to supply corps school so how did you no. end up a supply officer after having been i because i was assuming <laughs> like everybody i think kind of assumes 
that not that it always happens this way, but like kind of assumes that like, so for you, you'd be like, I don't know, healthcare administration or MESEPs or something like nursing, yeah. or whatever. Like, so how did you end up a supply officer? I mean, I don't know. None of that stuff sounded interesting to me, you know? Okay. Like, the, So in 20, I have, this is becoming an officer has been like a 10 year goal for okay. a long time. For a long time, it just kind of sat on the back, back shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I, I think that I was always going to go this path and I mm-hmm. just happened to make chief in the process. Um, but in 2016, 16, 16, 15 or 16, one of the two, I ended up putting in a, uh, medical service corps package, mm-hmm. um, after I got my degree in organizational leadership. So I got my, I finished my bachelor's, put in the package. I had my interviews were glowing. Everybody was like, your package is awesome. Blur, blur, blur. Send it in. I get an email like <sighs> maybe 24 hours after I send it saying, Hey, yeah. you're not eligible. We're not even sending your package to the board. And I was like, uh, why not? what what was the and so the answer i got was um your degree doesn't count oh gotcha and and there's some gray area well i was super angry at the time uh, because there's a lot of gray area but yeah um it turns out that the community manager for medical service corps specifically targeted the organizational leadership degrees and said those degrees are not what we want in our community so don't select them all right so yeah, it was like once I got to. So what was awesome though was like after I had gone through this whole process, I, I PCS and where I went was where the boards are held. Mm-hmm. So I ended up like the lady who sent me the email back. I ended up going to her and being like, "Can we talk about this? Like, what happened to me?" Yeah, and it it took a little bit of like building up the rapport with her and talking, but um, she eventually just told me like, "Look, the community manager just, just doesn't want organizational leadership," and I said. Oh, it's kind of hilarious <laughs> okay. given like all the things that I talk about all the time. Yeah, like, the context I, like, of this entire it's, podcast. It's kind of <laughs> hilarious. Like it's just a, a really great illustration of how just blind people, like how dense people are when it comes to like leadership development stuff. Well, I do understand like it's probably coming from a place of like, oh, we want somebody with a healthcare related degree administrator degree yeah like which i you know i get but i mean does your all all your experience as a corpsman count for nothing like i'm just like yes i don't know (laughs) so yeah i mean i whatever i just think yeah like you could so easily and flippantly like discount a degree like yeah yeah so so i did that um after that I'll tell you, I have some fire Facebook posts from back then. After that, like I, <laughs> man, that there was some growing that happened after that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I decided to. Well, all right. If that degree doesn't count, I'm just going to go ahead and get a different degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was waiting, weighing the options between doing a health, a master's of healthcare administration, or doing like a master's of business administration. And I wasn't convinced that when I grew up out of the Navy, that I wanted to be a healthcare administrator long term. Right. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep as many doors open as I can. I just decided to go with the basic MBA. Um, and when I got done with that, uh, I had made. I made chief like almost immediately after finishing the MBA mm-hmm. um, and as a hospital corpsman chief with an MBA at a training command, I was feeling highly underutilized. And then the conversation that we had in the last podcast about um, my interactions in the mess and, and some of the senior members of it, 
um, I was like, you know what? I need to get out of here. And it turns out with an MBA, you're eligible for like one thing <laughs> and yeah. that's supply. So, okay. and it, which is good, which is good because I like, I really enjoy supply. I enjoy okay. the, um, logistics side of things, global supply chain management. Like I, I, I really do enjoy that. So it's exciting that I'm going to get the opportunity to build the experience inside the Navy so that when yeah. I get out, I'm, I'm just like walking into what I'm, what I'm used yeah. to. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. That's so that's how that, yeah, just, Corman, what, Corman wouldn't have called it. That's all like I, not that I don't got any problem with it, obviously. Like, I mean, those are my people. But uh, but yeah, I was just yeah. surprised when you first told me about it. I remember being like, you're going to be a supply officer. Like, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, I mean, and long term, man, like you've got to do 10 years as an officer to retire. Right. Yeah, so yeah. 10 years of experience. I, I, I would. I would question whether there's a better translatable job category in the officer ranks uh, to the civilian yeah. workforce. You know, yeah. like obviously a doctor will be a doctor and like right. healthcare administration. Will be, but if you don't want to be in those very specific fields, yeah, if you want to get out of the Navy and just kind of write your own check at whatever company you want to be in, right. the supply corps is where you want to be. It is pretty translatable. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, like yeah especially with the kind of the way like and i mean i don't like i'm clearly not an expert on the hiring practices <laughs> of companies but like just from kind of what i learned from like doing some networking and like uh going to all the like separations classes and stuff it seems like the hiring practices are such now that like that would be the best setup for almost everything like and i mean yep. i you know obviously an mba is not gonna hurt so yeah. right well, yeah, and like if you just look at what supply officers are involved in, they they mm. have they have their hands in everything. Like there is yeah. nothing that the Navy does. You know, like like you want to go run a restaurant or a hotel or, yeah. or major like service based companies like that. Mm. Well, you can get well, experience of that in the Navy. And when you look at basically every single company that exists has some kind of supply chain management, like aspect to it so like there's some type of infrastructure everywhere like you look at like spacex like think about yeah. like how all the logistics that happens and like the supply chain management that happens to make that machine run and so it's like yeah it's literally everywhere it's like so it's yeah i mean it's it is a very very translatable career field that's for sure yeah. um so so what that, that was a lot of the motivation behind it yeah what was ocs like because i went when i went to the senior enlisted mm. academy i got to watch a little bit of like our, <laughs> the rdc's yeah, and all that stuff so like I bet you, did you go some, to the galley at all yeah oh yeah there's some weird oh, stuff going God. on they're like <laughs> dancing around outside the door and hopping around in a circle it looked kind of like a cult man they were just like it, twirl, it is man. twirling yeah, oh, yeah, and dancing yeah, yeah. and chanting they, and then, got a little hand thing yeah in here. they do all this weird stuff <laughs> yeah. when they sit down and like uh, yeah Oh man, it's yeah, bizarre, it's ridiculous. Man. It's ridiculous. I, you know, I'm glad that we waited as long as we did to record this episode because I think, yeah. like, if you would have caught me uh, immediately after the process, um, I would have been like, my answer just would have been, "There's no point in somebody like yeah. me going through OCS." Yeah, you know? but it's like looking back on it, there's probably some lessons that I learned there, yeah. like, like good, valuable lessons. Such as um, uh, how to work. So one of the things that I think the season kind of tries to focus on, but they don't do a very good job of it is how to work in a group. Yeah. Right. Um, but in OCS, like there is so much downtime. 
Yeah. So much data. It's not boot camp, right? Like it's not huh. RDCs or DIs or class officers are not with you 24-7. Okay. I was gonna They're say, not even I, there. I know there's RDCs, so I didn't know like what the... But yeah, I, I don't no, know not, how the time's filled, you know, like I don't, they're I don't not know. even they're not even there. So like OCS is broken down into four um, phases. OK, you okay. have your indoctrination candidate phase, which is pretty much your marine drill instructor just beating the snot out of you constantly. Yeah. Um, you know, you're doing a ton of PT. You're going to the sandpit for absolutely egregious errors, like not <laughs> tying your boots or something like that. Um <laughs> You know, or, yeah. or or messing up the the weird little dance we do outside the galley. Yeah. They're not screaming loud. You know, yeah, yeah. Whatever. They just make stuff up. Yeah, no, I'm with. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That's what the first three weeks is, and then that's that's culminated with like a like a, a specific inspection per se, called room locker and personnel inspection, and then Ooh. you go into your junior officer candidate phase, um, which is mostly classroom. Right. There's okay. some there's still you, you do like drill and ceremony um, mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But that's about it. After those three weeks of your junior officer candidate phase, you go into senior officer candidate phase. And at that point. RDCs pretty much leave you alone. Like okay. you're escorting yourself around the base. You're getting yourself to the classrooms you need to get to um, your what well, like the the class is doing it together um you're in charge of your own field days like they do inspections every now and then but generally you're not you don't see your rdc's a whole lot during pt in the morning and you'll see them during during meal times but that's about it okay and then they're teaching the classes but in like a classroom setting the rdc's are not rdc's they're right right senior chief whoever yeah so um like what yeah. what are you guys wearing at the like I don't know why I even care, but like <laughs> I remember walking around uh that base and so like there was the naps school right there. So I knew there was yeah. like officer candidates in there and they had these weird rank devices and like nobody yeah. knew what to do. Like, am I supposed to salute this dude or what? The railroad like, track things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, what yeah, is yeah. this? And I just decided so are- I'm like, I'm a chief. They're I don't even know, but they're not an officer yet. So I'm like, I just walked by them. Yeah, they were probably scared of you. So, probably, yeah, they definitely acted like they were. But yeah, so like, what yeah. do you guys? What do you wear for OCS? Like, are you? It depends on the phase that you're in, right? Okay. Like, like indoctrination candidate phase, you're not even in a real uniform. Like, you okay. you wear your your gold PT shirt with your NWU pants. Sometimes you won't even have your boots on. Like, you'll just wear like a sneakers. Okay, and your pants will be rolled up, right? Like, it's just because weird. It's super weird. It's yeah. super weird. Um, okay. but it, like a lot of that is because they don't want you wearing your boots every day after you get them because yeah. you're breaking them in and yeah, they yeah. don't want you to just destroy well, your how feet. Cons- how considerate of them. <laughs> yeah. It, it turns out that's not really effective at all, but, yeah. um, well, nowhere else know. in the Navy have they ever cared about the like, material condition of my feet. So <laughs> like I said, it's definitely not boot camp, bro. Yeah, like it's yeah. definitely not boot camp. Okay. Like you, I had my the entire time I had my own room with uh, I had one roommate. Like you have a stateroom, you mm-hmm. have your own bathroom, you share a shower with your headmate. Like you're in barracks from day one. Yeah. Hmm. Um you have you have privacy. Like there you have a pretty big lockable two drawer that they can't mm-hmm. get in as long as you leave it locked. Okay. Um and like there's a you can you can do health and comfort inspections, but there wasn't one while I was there. Yeah. 
Um, so like there's a good amount of privacy. There's a good amount of like autonomy in OCS because they're trying to teach you like these are the rules. Oh, and from day one, this was the coolest thing about OCS in my opinion. From day one, they gave you the manual, the whole fucking thing. Like this is, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good, you're good. That's what footnotes um, are for. Like they said, like these, these are all the things you're expected to do before you graduated. These are mm-hmm. these are all the requirements you have to meet and these are all the rules that you have to file, follow. Um, if you read it all in the first week and you remember it all, you'll never get in trouble and you'll be fine. Um. Ooh. Assuming that all of the instructors and RDCs also understand that manual and know that manual. So that was, there were a few times that I like, I I talked to a few people like, that's not like you're citing a rule that doesn't actually exist. (laughs) I bet you that went over well. (laughs) Uh, Actually. Yeah. It like, I was like, you're out there making friends with all the RDCs. Are you? I, I mean, I, like, like the RDCs act, were super actually, cool. Yeah, like the RDCs, the were, like the RDCs. Yeah, no, I definitely didnn't like just walk up and be like, well, just yeah. in case you, you knew senior chief, that's not actually part of the rules. No, that's yeah. But like off the off the record, just kind of like in passing, talking with them and being like, hey, uh, this happened. Can you explain to me what I did wrong? And then yeah. they'd be like, you didn't do anything wrong. Be like, oh, OK, cool. Just yeah. uh, I'm verifying that good <laughs> um but yeah it's you know it's designed the process is designed to build officers not mm-hmm. um sailors right sailors right. are and it, you can you can look at the difference between an oath of enlistment and the oath of office right like the oath of enlistment in it it says i will obey all the orders of those appointed over me the oath mm-hmm. of office does not say that yeah you know, and like that is probably the fundamental difference between what the two training pipelines try to instill is that my job as an officer is not necessarily to follow all the orders of those appointed over me. Like that's it's an important part of it. But my job is to well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office that I'm in. Yeah. Um, and if I have to tell someone to go pack sand in order to do that, then I should learn how to do that appropriately. Yeah. What, uh, what were you, cause you said you think you learned a bunch of lessons from the process. Like what, what were those? Like what were some of the takeaways? Um, so going from a 15 year chief to a indoctrination candidate surrounded by early 20 something, <laughs> you know, college yeah. graduates. Yeah. I could not, and, and I tried this for like the first couple weeks. I was like, super, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing yeah, this? Yeah. What the rule says, blah, blah, blah. Like I was, I was boot camping it. Right? Yeah. Um, because there is, a, like I said, there's a lot of autonomy. So, so you're kind of expected to police yourselves. Yeah. Um, and I was like boot camping it for a long time. And then I realized that one, I wasn't making any friends there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that ultimately it didn't matter. Like, because maybe, maybe this is not a good lesson that I learned, but one (laughs) of the lessons that I learned is that if somebody is not like, what is valuable is what you inspect. And if you're not inspecting something, or if you're just not holding a standard for whatever reason, and you're the authority, like the, the authority in charge, then that standards just not going to be followed. It right. just won't because, because everybody in the Navy is too flipping busy 
to follow yeah. every single rule, right? So right. if you're not inspecting something because you don't think it's important, yeah, your sailors aren't going to think it's important and they're not going to follow it, period. Right. So you're talking about like the, the RDCs and whoever not like there are certain things you're you were like on because they're in the book, but the RDCs didn't seem to care. So you were like expending this bandwidth over nothing, essentially, because they weren't. Yeah. And, it. and well, they like they aren't around all the time. Right. Like I, right. I lived in it. So I like I saw all the stuff that like wasn't supposed to happen, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it, if. And even the times like there were a couple of times where I like we like. Chow procedures are the worst part of OCS. There's no <laughs> doubt about they it. They look like, so ridiculous. It, I was it's like, what is happening? Man. The vast majority of OCS, like like a day in the life of a candidate is you go to PT first thing in the morning at like 5 a.m., right? Yeah. Breakfast, classroom, lunch, classroom, afternoon stuff. And depending Ooh. on what, what phase of training you're in, that afternoon stuff is either you're going to the sand pit to, to be yelled at Mm-hmm. Um, you're practicing your rifle drill or you're studying, studying for some test that's coming up or inspection. Right. That's it. Right. Um, and at like 1800 at the latest, almost every RDC is off the compound. You've got the mm-hmm. duty and that kind of thing. And there's some, there's some others that are circulating, but generally candidates are left to their own devices. Um, so the like there were things that I saw that were like outside the chow hall. We're all standing in formation and laughing and joking about some silly thing that an RDC said or that a DI said. Um, and RDCs would like walk by and they'd see us like laughing and coking and joking, and they wouldn't necessarily do anything about it. Yeah. And it, like at that point, I realized like why am I yelling at the people in this formation and not right. talking formation when that dude didn't? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, that's the, that's kind of like and ultimately stupid stuff. Yeah. And I feel like that kind of stuff, like because like you were saying, like it, your initial like knee jerk reaction right at coming out of the pipeline is like this was pointless. Yeah. And I had that same feeling coming out of the chief season when it first happened was like most of the, like as it was happening to me. And then right after it happened a lot of it, I was just like, this is stupid. Like, I just have to like yeah. white knuckle it through this. Cause it's yeah. just what pe- what they do. And so like, but then looking back, like I, for, for better or worse, I learned a lot from it, but it definitely took a while for those things to set in. Um, I still think there was a lot of it that was stupid that didn't need to happen. Just as I think yeah. that today when I, I mean, I observe them now and I'm like, this is stupid and shouldn't be happening. But you know, some yeah. of that's just my interpretation of what the best way to like, develop leaders is and then some of it is because it's really just ridiculous pointless and immature um, speaking of which actually freaking mick pond's guidance this year seemed like it was way more pointed like stop doing stupid stuff i was haven't that, was that just read me? it yet yeah no somebody sent it to me and i haven't read it yet because i'm not even gonna be around so i was like right yeah, I, yeah it doesn't I, really I meant you for sure i mean kind of like because i do want to like provide the feedback when i get asked the question but um, I just haven't gotten to it yet, but I've heard that. Yeah. And I, I thought his original one, uh, there was some good stuff in it too. The, especially the lines about um, acceptance basically being symbolic mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like they've already mm-hmm. been selected. This isn't a selection process. So I think his yep. guidance was has been better from the beginning. Um, and it, you know, it sounds yeah. like he's continued to improve on it. The thing for me is like, it's, 
it's guidance. It's like a suggestion, essentially. Not right. all of it, obviously. Like he's providing direction too, but I just wish there was like like where's the master course document? Like just write an instruction go, that's oh, signed out by the CNO, going, please. Like, you know what I mean? Like going back to what I just said, right? What yeah. you inspect is what people care about. So right. like you can put out this guidance, but if nobody's actually like exactly. going to your trainings and making right. sure that they're useful, then Right. Exactly. And it's like there's a lot of stuff that I've had because I've had I've been in the room and I've had the conversations. Mick Pond's guidance comes comes out. We read it. It gets briefed. Maybe we do like we're participating with the region and we do like a region wide safety brief where all the like the flag level CMCs are there and they're communicating their expectations. But then like as it trickles down to the lower level CMCs and cobs and all that, it's like you're in a room with your cob and they're like, yeah, we can't do this because they said it at the brief. And he's like, actually, no, there's some gray. And it, so they, they start like yeah. interpreting yeah. it and like stretching yeah. out the, like the, in the, in the moment, out. right? Yeah, like, like, yeah. 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 Or just like in the planning and briefs and training and whatever, they're just, they start deciding that, well, no, they actually meant this or, or they start interpreting lines and, the McPond's guidance or whatever and then you end mm-hmm. up you know with a safety stand down or something and it's just like, like <laughs> with silly why, string on a golf course yeah why isn't there just like hard and fast rules like there's always gonna be room for us to find a way to fail but there yeah. really should be some bumpers just some hard and fast guardrails put in writing via you know, op nav instruction, whatever, or bupers instruction, however they want to, well, I don't know, like, yeah. however they want to route it. Yeah, but then where, you need you somebody know, who's actually going to enforce that, right? Like, who's going to enforce that? The, the mess is going to enforce it within themselves? Well, so what I'm saying is, like, if there's hard and fast, like, policy, it's generally treated different than the MCPON releasing a memo, right? Where and, Oh, there's and, no doubt about that. And sure. it's not a memo that always gets like distributed widely like yeah i mean it's on his web page and it gets emailed out to like higher echelon cmcs and then that trickles down generally but i mean that stops at a lot of sel so if if chiefs on the street or that sel aren't distributing it like if you're not if the chiefs on the street aren't like going and finding it and seeking it out or that sel isn't distributing it or briefing or training on it or whatever which i think they should be obviously but it's like they're not even largely aware of it. Like I bet you a lot yeah. of chiefs don't even read it before the season happens. But if there's an yep. op nav instruction that, that has like your responsibility is X and you know, cause then you, you could at the very front of the instruction where you're detailing who's responsible for what you put, I mean, the commanding officer is responsible for the actions of his people. Like, the end so it's like that commanding officer should be put under the burden of if your command SEL and chiefs do something stupid you're on the hook for it bud like you're gonna yeah. get canned so then the co has that that like because i've always been of the belief that i gotta go sell my co on my training pipeline like i'm gonna go brief sure. him when i'm the guy coordinating it right and i'm gonna like provide this brief and this is how we're going to be safe and this is how we're not going to haze people and this is how we're not going to do anything you know unbecoming or untoward or whatever um and these are the training objectives and whatever i had to give my co a warm fuzzy that i'm not going to get him fired um yeah and i don't know that everybody does that and it's like so i feel like you could put all those things into mm-hmm. writing and does it fix everything of course not right like we're there <laughs> I, 
stupid people will never cease to amaze me with their creativity. You know what with I mean? Their ingenuity, like, yeah, their ingenuity. Yeah, it's like they're gonna find a way to do something stupid. Mm-hmm. But you know, not no no pipeline or mechanism is always is going to be able to filter out all the idiots. But it's going to, I think it's going to get rid of a lot of the ability to do certain stupid things because some of the stuff happens and it's like a this is how we've always done it or they think it's some kind of warped like interpretation of tradition or whatever where if you know if there's hard and fast guardrails via an instruction that the co has to adhere to like there's not a ton of wiggle room there even though you would have to leave it up to interpretation to a certain degree because like where each community is going to do it differently warfare platform is going to do it slightly differently blah 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 but the yeah. end of the day it's all got to get filtered through that co and the co's got to have the warm fuzzy i'm not going to get fired is that always going to catch everything no we see co's doing silly things and being on the cover of the Navy all the time too so it's it's not going to it's not going to be perfect but i think it'll be a, a gigantic improvement and the other thing for me is like we do like a lot of chiefs you'll have those conversations where they have wildly varying experiences and there's not a hard and fast set of training objectives to, to me, like in my all my experience with the season over better than a decade. I've never seen a consistent and understandable like thou shalt train on the following. Every chief will come out with these completed training objectives. Like it's there's been like some mechanisms via like teaching of the creed, laying the keel, like, you know, whatever in dock and yeah, all that, what that whatever we're going to call it, like in a week. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, so there's objectives in that lesson, but it doesn't feel like there's a strategic, like master course document level thing saying, this is the starting point. This is the end point. And then interspersed is all those mechanisms of like, this is how we're going to get there. But they're all modeled on those overarching training objectives. Like by the end of this process, all the chiefs in all the warfare communities are going to accomplish these training objectives yeah. via yeah. whatever mechanism is appropriate to their warfare community platform, et cetera. But they're going to get to this training objective so that we all have that like parody like i can go to a chief in naval special warfare and they understand like and yeah. you know like you yeah, model yeah. it off of like mission vision guiding principles or you know like maybe we make up some new stuff or add on or whatever but there's got to be like a bedrock and i think that those things should be like the the guiding light of all of like okay this is where we got to get to this is where we're starting how do we then then you build out all the infrastructure of of what we're doing because it just feels like it's a real patchwork like it doesn't feel like there's a lot of of direction when you're going through the season it feels like they just keep adding on like you know like they're those flex yeah. seal commercials like they're just adding <laughs> just adding on patches all you know what i mean yeah. and then yeah. they're looking yeah. at this weird quilt that, of things <laughs> that doesn't really like work and doesn't really yeah accomplish yeah. what you think it should because i i I would argue that a lot of like you would have a hard time even explaining like what should be accomplished. Like the best, the best thing you could point at is like mission, vision, guiding principles. And it's like, okay, well show me all the things like, show me how we accomplish every one of those. If those are the training objectives. And like the answer is we don't, you know, not always. And like some communities might do one thing better than another. You know what I mean? Like there's going to be places that, that do one thing better than the other, but there's also, there's never going to be anybody that's nailing them all. I don't, I don't think, no. I mean, but 
you know. Yeah, I agree with you. And like, I think a lot of it too, like the reluctance to create something like that would uh, create a level of transparency that I think a lot of the Chiefs mess just isn't comfortable with in regards well, to season. Yeah, that's what I, that's the part for where I don't understand the reluctance because you got oh, don't even get me started on that. I don't need well, it, but I don't whatever. I don't understand. I don't understand it because who's going to be creating it like the Mick Pond's leadership mess is going to be creating it like and then, you know, hopefully they include some of some gen pop people in in like working groups or whatever, like as some kind of filter and feedback mechanism. But it's like it's not like chiefs aren't going to have largely full control of creating whatever that would look like and then yeah you got to filter sure. it through the cno and stuff but um it's not like it's like we have this fear that we're not going to have control over our own destiny and it's like the only time if you look at a tradition of change the only time we haven't had control over our own <laughs> destiny is when we screwed it up so hard the cno is like Royally. nah you're done yeah like we're shutting yeah. this down and then we had to like get our used car salesman pants on and go figure out yeah. how we're gonna how we're gonna talk but him into letting I mean, us man. keep our our shiny toys and and like figure out a way to like flex seal patch the thing together but and be like we made it better. That's what I mean, like, is about, like, the tradition of change document. Like, mm-hmm. you have talked to a lot of, like, a hell of a lot more than me. Yeah. But um, I, in my experience, every time I bring up that document. It's like um, they pretend it's not and real. when I give something. it to people. Well, they don't even pretend it's not real. They're just like, oh, oh, there's a document out there that, like, lines oh, yeah, yeah. it all out. Like, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Everything. I had like the just, whole history. Mm-hmm. Just like, this last if you, season, if you man. were even slightly confused about where egg division came from. Mm-hmm. I can point to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just this last chief season, I had a senior chief telling, like, tasking the selects with. I think he was. It was one of those typical like things you send people to go locker for, and he was yeah. he was tasking them with going and finding like the history of the charge book or something like it. And I'm like, <laughs> and I pulled, yeah, and I pulled the selectees aside and I said, the history of the charge book will not be found on Goat Locker unless you click the tradition of change link. I was like, if you get it from anywhere else, it's not true. Um, unless it's like a summary of a tradition of change. <laughs> right, like, it's right, like, right. it's not like that is not real. And I, dude, I, I like, I remember being so pissed off when I first read that document because I've got a picture that I used to really like of me standing in front of a group of selects briefing. We were doing like the um, selectee meet and greet with the families and stuff when I was at the A school. And I'm I am briefing them as we issue them their charge books (laughs) on the history of the charge book from Goat Locker. And I was so pissed. I was so pissed because I didn't know. I yeah, felt yeah. like I felt like I was so enraged when I first read it. Because yeah. I'm like, I've been lied to. And it really shook my confidence in the Chiefs mess at the time. And then I just decided I was going to evangelize the contents of that document because I was like, this is you guys are all parroting this crap. That's not yeah. true. It's a fairy yeah. tale. Um, like they just made this stuff up. And so, um, I thought it was really important that those things were known. And that honestly is probably the origin story of, of my, um, I mean, it's part, it's a big part of it. My like becoming critical of all of our, our weak points because it, it like, Mm. it showed me the emperor has no clothes. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was like, 
all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute. Like this, <laughs> there's some, there's some, uh, Tom. Turns out we going now on might here. be right here. Yeah. yeah. And so then I, that's when it, like, I always, I, I, at the very beginning, I, I mean, I've had skepticism just like every junior sailor does of the cheese mess, even, even when I was outside of it. And then when I was indoctrinated into it, I was, I wanted to be a true believer, even though I went through a chief season that made me immediately question the the like value, like what is going on here? But then when yeah. I got on the other side of it, it was like, I kind of forgot that. Like I kind of like built a wall in front of like, and I'm just going to forget all that bad stuff that just happened. And I yeah, wanted like to I'm, drink. I'm part of the big boys. Yeah. Now. I wanted to drink the Kool-Aid and I tried sure. real hard. And I mean, I did a pretty good job uh, until I left that submarine. And then, yeah, when I got to uh, the A school, that's when that document came out around that sometime while I was there. And I started to get skeptical before that. But then that I think that's when I really started leaning into it because it was a pretty hard punch in the face where I was just like, what is going on here? Yeah. Like, and and I think, yeah, I think that skepticism. So you you had mentioned that you were um, kind of skeptical, like any junior sailor leading up yeah. like on the outside looking in. So I wasn't, and I think that's probably where I, I got smashed the hardest during season mm-hmm. is like, I, I was a hundred percent bought in for the most part, like, wow. oh man, chiefs are, chiefs are, chiefs are chiefs. They're, they're the, ask them, ask them, they yeah. know the answer for sure. You know, like there was, there was a little bit of skepticism and I had bad, I had had bad chiefs up to that point, but it wasn't the chiefs mess that was the failure. It was that individual that was the failure. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And um, when I got in there, I'm like, oh, man, going through season and it just getting on the other side of the getting on the other side of the the curtain, you realize that there's no Santa Claus and (laughs) that like the punchline is just that that you have to you have to learn how to stand on your own two feet. Um, And it, it was like. It was a little bit of a letdown and, and that yeah. letdown I probably realistically didn't recover from. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, it's pretty staggering to me. Like when I, cause I always, um, I wouldn't like my buddy, Dan, who I've done some podcasts with, he, he always described it as like, he always viewed chiefs as like the exemplar and like what everybody mm-hmm. should be trying to attain. And then that was, you know, that rug got pulled out from under him pretty quick and, he's since like had a hard time recovering even though he's matured to a place where um he does kind of the same thing where he he discerns the the difference in the individuals based on like how they interact with him and it's very much like a you got to show me that you're not a bad guy or girl yeah i mean like that you're a good chief you have to you're gonna have to like earn the credibility with me now because of the damage done by everybody else and so it's like that's it was staggering to me when I stepped through the looking glass at just at which it was a delayed reaction because of the mess that I grew up in. Like when, when I was on a special project submarine, I mean, you're talking about like the be- only the best guys are there generally. Like yeah. you're, you're there's a couple of knuckleheads, but by and large you had like guys that would be number one EPs on any other submarine and they volunteered to come there. I do mean to ask this. when you say special project submarine, do you mean like is like the Jimmy Carter? Is that what you're talking about? 
Uh, yes, but I don't I, like historically haven't put the name out there just because, you know, not trying to. OK, well, delete. so that's no, you're fine. Like, it, at, at this point, it doesn't matter. And it's not hard to figure it out. But right. I, I just didn't know. Intentionally like, vague. Yeah. I, like every time you said special project submarine, I was like, what the hell is a special project submarine? And then yeah. it, going through school here, I learned about that one. Um, and yeah, and that's I, like. Okay, that's gotcha. what it is. Yeah, that's where I did my. I, I went there as a first class LPO, and then I made chief, and the, they sent the other chief packing and kept me. Um, so I did my first chief's tour there. Um, but yeah, I just that's the only yeah. reason I said it that way. But um, yeah, it's so like the the people that were there, and especially the cob that we had. I mean, he was he's a dude that pinned on my mass chief anchors. Like he's an amazing dude, just like a. Insane amount of experience, really smart, insightful dude, like well read. Like he's just he was amazing. He's like a break glass in case of emergency CMC. Um mm-hmm. and uh so I got really lucky in that regard where that's where I learned how to be a chief. So like I feel like I got it, it's kind of the way that I compare um like when we put sailors through boot camp, right? And uh I mean, you may be, may or may not agree and be able to make the same argument for OCS. So, like, you can tell me when I'm done. But, like, it's just the <laughs> argument I make about, like, the sailors. You put sailors through boot camp and you prepare them for a Navy that's not real. Like, you're not calling anybody petty officer. You're not shining your boots. You're not largely ironing your uniform. I could barely get people to get a damn haircut. So, it's like oh you're, prepare, you're preparing these people for a Navy that's not real, right? Yeah. And so, like, yeah. in this in this mess... I got prepared to be a chief in messes that aren't real. Like, cause when you go mm. to a normal mess, like, and I, it was to the point and like, cause this isn't just my interpretation. Like it's to the point that when I went, so I went to the A school, did my thing there. When my EDMC and my doc from that, the, the special boat, when they found out I was going to just a normal ballistic missile submarine, they were like, I was in Hawaii for something. I think it was just like a wedding or something. And they were both out there and they're like, come have dinner with us. We need to mentally prepare you for this. So like I, we, we all, and I mean, I just want to see them anyway, but we had dinner and they spent the whole time preparing me for basically like gen pop, like a normal chief's mess. They're like, you're used to being in a mess with a lot of people that are just like you or like really similar, like type A personalities getting after it, attacking problems. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And like having a couple of knuckleheads. They're like, turn it upside down. There's going to be like you and one other guy that you don't want to murder. And then everybody else is going to do as little as possible until some catalyst comes into play, namely you Mm -hmm. that like makes them do like more than, you know, mm-hmm. they would otherwise. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, and it, you know, like I, I, I think I did go into a pretty, it was a, it was an above average mess when compared to other submarine chief senses. Like it developed into that. I should say like when I first checked in, there was a pro there was like one guy like me, um, that was super burnt out and was about to transfer. But then my cob basically, he like sort of got fired, but not really, it was weird, but he was mm. really weak. The rest of the mess was really weak. Um, but we had like he went away. Our EMC had medical stuff and he wasn't strong either. So he had medical stuff that made him go away. And then the people that came in to replace him. So they put a strong cob in there to replace him because we clearly needed the help. And then um, 
they the person that replaced that EDMC, he was like a brand new senior chief, but he was amazing. So we got mm-hmm. lucky with him. The the guy we had a sonar chief go down somehow or transfer, I can't remember. Um, and the guy that we got was a guy that from special projects that I knew really well that was just like he was supposed to go be a cob and they had they were undermanned with sonar chiefs at sea. So this sonar senior chief got screwed and got sent to be a sonar chief. And he was super pissed about it, but he was also just, he would have been the dopest cop ever. Like, and and so that was our (laughs) weapons department chief. So then it started, we started to get all these just like pipe hitters and then everybody else just had to adapt because it was like, the cop was good. The department chiefs were amazing. Like three, three of them. I'm trying to think of one, two, three of them were amazing one of them was like forced to comply and then all the other chiefs had no choice because we were running it and so then yeah then it got above average but i mean that took a year and a half to get to that point where we were well and it happened by happenstance exactly like Like it it happened like the cob would have had a harder time um if it was just me but then we just got and some of it was him him going out of his way to like like he influenced who came as much as he could um, mm. which, you know, he didn't have complete control, obviously, but he definitely was out there recruiting like, hey, I'm the cop on this boat now. Like, you should come be my sonar chief or you should come be my yeah. whatever chief. So he yeah. tried to stack the deck as well, which uh, he succeeded a few times in that regard. And that's what helped us as well. But um, but yeah, so like, I don't know, man, like it was but I was when I got into so the A school is pretty weak. I had a couple of good ones, but like there was some weak ones too. And it was not all bad people, just not all strong chiefs. And so it was shocking to me how like little leadership, uh, like just level of knowledge and experience and ability people had. And there was just a lot of me being the one that was pushing. And I'm like, why, why do I always have to push? Why do I always have to kickstart everything? Um, and and then go like loop back around and helicopter mom them until they're done. Like it was just it was ridiculous. And then um, when I got back to that submarine, it was a lot of the same. It was just like, you are you really are you really like I, I have to be the one that like firmly plants foot in in butt like because there were meetings yeah. where I was flipping out. And I'm like, thank God the cook chief's here to tell you all how to do your job. Like, are you serious? Like, I'm at ops mm. briefs and like department head, department chief meetings and like yeah. um, p- planning meetings for like the plan of the week and all that. Just flipping out. Like, what? Like, there was a lot of stuff where it was just like people were showing up late all the time and like barely paying attention and co- like side conversations and all this. Shit. And I was just like, I was the first one that showed up that was super vocal. And I actually had like that weak cob that ended up going away. Like, he was trying to like, talk me into conforming to their culture and i'm like uh-uh no i'm like that's not, gonna happen bud. that is not how this works i'm like you're gonna vote me off the island before that happens like yeah. no i was like i'll sign my dfc paperwork today i was like no I'll, sir i will be f- like if i'm being flat the that is the one thing that i'm legitimately terrified about about going to this first ship is like yeah me being this this type A personality who's a prior mm-hmm. chief, used to being the guy at the table who could be like, what the heck are we talking about here? And why yeah. are we talking about it? Coming to the table now only as a, you know, as a gold bar. Um, 
Uh, I don't you think can't, you can't bull in a china shop that anymore. You can't, but I think there's a way to apply that experience that I think can be extremely valuable. And I think when you first show up, it's like I'd be very much in like just observe, observe and analyze kind of mode, like like get a read yeah. on your suppo, a suppo, all that kind of stuff. Get a read on how they work, what they uh, expect, how they want to receive things. And then it's like, I think there's a way that you can apply that that will be really useful without being like obnoxious and, and insubordinate yeah. in the eyes of some like full bird or commander supply <laughs> officer. Cause, cause the way I understand it and don't, don't get me wrong. Like I, I've never been a supply officer. I've, this is all just like relayed to me by other supply sure. officers, but the way I understand it is like, they can get a little like, um, little bougie like a little like I don't oh, it's know. a tennis club with a navy bro oh yeah i'm so important i'm like this that yeah it's like it gets <laughs> real weird sometimes where like very like like um like you got to network and you got to go to these stupid get-togethers and kiss the ring and all this other crap sure it's do. like so when you get supply officers that are you know commanders like captains it's like you're going to get probably one of two things you're going to get somebody that's super chill and that like you'll be able to get along with really well or you're going to get somebody that thinks they're king of the castle and is going to wield power in a way that you're not going to like. But I think there's a way that you can use your experience to um, to kind of help guide the like help guide the same things in a way that's not the way you would do it as a chief because you're not in that position anymore. But like I think it's there's going to be an adjustment period where like. You're going to have to figure out how to be an officer. But like, I don't think that means adjusting to a broken culture because, oh, well, this is just how all the other officers are doing it. I think there's definitely a way where you can interject your your experience. And I I think I would like to think that those people that you're going to be working for are going to kind of expect that out of you, too. Like if I'm getting a prior like a prior enlisted chief that's been in for 15 years yeah, I, I'm going to expect more out of you than I expect out of a, a brand new out of college ensign. Um, and while it might not be like you, you like you're not going to know how to supply officer better than them immediately, but I expect you to be able to figure things out a lot quicker. I expect you to be more responsible. I would probably expect you to be able to handle more responsibility and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, sure, I think you're probably going to be relied on a lot more than most brand new first tour divos and so i think i hope so by virtue of that i don't i i would think that you'd have a little more of a voice i would think that like you're gonna get at at least at first i'm sure it'll be a lot more direction because of course you're going to be learning the supply side but i think they're going to start trusting you with more faster and you're going to get a lot less direction and a lot more like um general guidance and they're going to allow you to kind of like paint your own picture because you're yeah. grown up you know what i mean i don't well yeah and like would, that's kind of obvious hope. based on the job that i'm going into right like they're yeah. not they're not putting me in the the typical welcome to the navy figure it out right. kind of job so i think that that is true but still i'm worried that because i'm they're very still, used to yeah there's still gonna be growing pains dude like because yeah, you're not chief it. anymore you know what i mean like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Because the I, I, know I think the the biggest growing pain that is probably typical is that 
you're not because like I can tell you I've had officers that thought they were going to tell my sailors what to do. And I'm like, that's not your job anymore. I tell my sailors what to do. Like you tell me what you need done and I will tell my sailors how or like who's going to do what, when and how to get the thing done that you need done or that the ship needs done or whatever. But it's like I would I was real firm with my supply officers where it was just like you do not task my sailors like that's not a thing that happens ever like you come to me and I task my sailors and the only time you give them direction is when it's like it absolutely can't wait or it's like an emergency where like somebody's about to hurt themselves or they're doing something that's like wildly inappropriate otherwise it all gets filtered through me 100% of the time. If it, and if I'm not there, it gets filtered through my LPO. Like you don't direct my sailors to anything because what they do is they're like, well, chops chop and she outranks senior technically. So, yeah. and then yeah. my, then my stuff gets all messed up and it's like, I'm the one that like has all the big picture of like what's going on and how it's going on with like what my, well, my in, the, in your world, your world is, is yeah, probably slightly You're different than where I'm heading to. Sabotage. But yeah. well, I mean, sure. But like, it's like if I'm doing a food load and I'm doing five other things and you don't have the visibility on that, but you need this thing done and you task CS2 to go do it, who uh, just yeah. abandoned his role in the food load and then something gets jacked up and then I lose Steve Orr and crane support. And you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. don't, you don't know what's happening. So for you to task my people, it's like, that's just, no, that's not a thing that happens. Yeah. Um, I would be, I would be, if I did, I don't know, maybe this is just me not understanding how things work yet but if i didn't know what was happening i would i would i feel like my chief would not have let me know like like why why don't i know for for sure there's an expectation that you should be briefed and i for sure was briefing my supply officer but they don't know everything all the time they don't like they don't know the nuts and bolts you know what i mean So like they know that we're doing a food load, but they don't know the nuts and bolts of who's doing what and why it's important that they're standing there or why it's important that they're, you know what I mean? Like standing topside of the radio or whatever. So it's like, I was for sure briefing my supply officer on like, like what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, where I'm going to be, where, you know, the LPO is going to be, who's on duty, all that other kind of stuff. But like, and there should of course be an expectation that your chiefs are telling you things. And there's probably going to be a feeling out period even there where, um, like you're going to need to in a way that doesn't feel like you're doing their job for them. Like you're going to need to create that type of an expectation of your chiefs. Like this is what I expect to know so that I stay, I stay out of your lane. You know what I mean? Like, and you're going to need to have a little bit of understanding of the fact that I used to be a chief. So if I overstep, it's cause I it's, it's muscle memory. So it's like happening. by all, yeah. by all means, draw the line brightly for me and correct me when I'm overstepping. But also you need to understand one that I expect to be briefed on all these things so that I have a good idea of what's going on and and can then subsequently brief the people above me. But also that my my bullshit detector is going to be pretty t- like tuned in because I used to be a chief. So like, yeah. good luck. I know the lines. <laughs> good luck getting anything yeah. by me. And so like, yeah. don't. Yeah, I mean, like, so there's, there's going to be a learning curve for sure. And you're definitely going to take lumps in that regard particularly particularly because you're not coming from a supply background and because you're not you like you've never even been underway on a ship so there's a whole (laughs) bunch of stuff that even though you were a chief that like if you had been an ls chief it's a whole different conversation it's like for sure you you already basically know how to be a supply officer at that point um like i can tell you like for me to go be a a warrant like i've basically been a food service officer like three times 
And so it's like for me to go be a warrant, there's no learning curve there, like except for the surface ship part of it. But it's not like there's not much that I don't already know how to do um, where for you. It's like, yeah, there's going to be a steeper learning curve, but also there's still a lot of valuable experience there that is going to translate in a way that is going to make it easier for you to adapt to that role than it will for somebody that's never, you know, never navied at all. So, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping so. I don't know. It's definitely something that's been in my personal musings and, and like yeah. journalings have been what I'm, what I'm like kind of focused on is, is what am I going to do to avoid making enemies in my first 90 days? Dude, observe, <laughs> observe, observe and analyze and just ask lots of questions. Like we, when I first check into a boat, I mean, I spend the first two weeks and mind you, this is a job I already know how to do and that I'm an expert on. But like also like so when I went to my first ballistic missile submarine, it's a different platform. So there's things I don't know. So I went in and I was just kind of observing and making notes of how they do things and whether I agreed or disagreed. But I would just ask lots of questions. I do it during inspections, too. I'll just ask the people that are doing the job. Hey, why are you doing that? And like like and not like I, I'm not correcting you. I'm just like, I'm curious. Why are you doing that? Can you explain to me like what like what's going on here? And then same thing with like your chiefs, with the officers above you, like just ask those questions and start gaining that knowledge as far as like, because then it'll, it'll help you filter the BS, especially like go ask an E5, like, hey, why do you do this during a stores load? So when your chiefs tries to send, sell you a load of BS, it's like, well, no, I know that that's not true. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, or go, yeah. you know, go talk to, I mean, you'll probably have a warrant, a food service warrant on that ship anyway, so you won't really... But you know what I mean? Like, well, however, it, yeah. whatever role you're in, it's like, go talk to like the LS2 that's the hazmat guru and just be like, hey, why do we do this? And then when Chief's trying to sell you on a bull about like, you know, like, oh, well, uh, it's fine because of this. And it's like, no, actually, I can read books. And I, LS2 told me that that's not true. Or, I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> dime, don't dime LS2 out. But you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, I know, I know that's work. not true. And here's why. Um, yeah. But also, like, if you if you let them teach you, and then you say, well, what about what, what about, you know, this book says this, you know, like the 485 mm-hmm. says blah or whatever. Um, yeah. Then, yeah. You know, that's like, that's going to be my focus for sure. There's yeah, no doubt just, about that. Yeah. They're going to just ask him questions. Well, well, why are we doing it that way? And then have him explain it to you and be like, well, explain. OK, explain to me why that's why we're doing it contrary to the 485. Like, is there other guidance? And just ask the questions like you're learning which you are, but also you're a smart kid that can read books and you can recognize that a lot of the stuff they're probably doing is not in line with what's in the book. Cause that's almost every unit in the Navy. Like, and yeah. like when we go out, well, yeah. our, when we go out and do our inspections, that's one of the things that a lot of submarines get hammered on is hazmat. And so it's like, I can't imagine service ships are much better. So it's, you're probably going to go in and like, you're going to read the book and you're going to get out the checklists and you're going to do all, you know what I mean? You're going to start inspecting everything. And then you're going to be like, Hey chief, what's going on here, man? Like, or, or whoa, man. And like, what, what, like, why are we doing this this way? What's going on here? What's going on there? And like, and and they may have a great answer for you or they may not. Cause I'm sure there's, you guys will have TICOM instructions and all this other crap that may be, maybe different. Like submarines definitely do things that, uh, would appear to be contrary to the 485 or whatever book you guys use right. hazmat, the schmickle or whatever the, I don't remember all the names. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. stupid books yeah, yeah. you guys use for all that stuff. It's like maybe contrary to that, but it's because submarines, you know? And so, and we have a tie yeah. construction that captures that. And so, yeah, I mean, like, I think, I think you go in there like kind of playing the role of the bright eyed 
you know, like, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed ensign <laughs> yeah. that doesn't know anything. But also like eh, I read a book once. So it's like and then you grow from yeah. there and hopefully you can pretty quickly identify like the good and the bad as far as not just like of the things they're doing, but like the people that are doing them. Like, OK, these are the people I need to keep an eye on. These are the people I can trust to give me the the unvarnished truth and teach me the right way of doing things. Um, these are the people yeah. I can go to to ask questions, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, yeah. I think there's for sure going to be a learning curve. Yeah. And yep. I. Yeah, I bet I bet uh, you the Chiefs. I'm low are gonna, key scared about it, but it's gonna be a fun. It's yeah. gonna be fun stories. I guarantee you, that you'll be. Yeah, you'll be good. And I don't even think you need to go in there and have any kind of like um, conversation about like, hey, I used to be a chief, so blah blah blah. Like, yeah, you, no, I would no. go in there and like, if it comes up, it comes up because they're gonna ask you like, okay, so like, where you been? What you know, blah blah. blah. And you're like, oh yeah, I commissioned through OCS. I used to be a corpsman chief. It's my first ship, so it's all new to me, you know, and like just mm-hmm. kind of go in there with that mentality. But like also like when the stuff comes up, just rely on that experience and um, and understanding that like, yeah, like when the stuff comes up that like, OK, well, I'm not a, I'm not a brand new baby. Yet, so like, right. I Like you can you'll be able to filter that stuff out, I think, better than they will. But I, it's like I don't think you're going to run into many instances where you're going to need to really like have those conversations. Um, your chief might say it to you if he knows that you were chief, and it's like, okay, cool, just like draw those lines bright and red yeah. for me, so that I know where not to cross. I'm sure I'm gonna do something like you. Know, that's and it's just muscle memory, but you know, yeah, correct me. Just we'll talk about me, it, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it. I'm sure I'm gonna. It's gonna take me a minute to figure this out, so you know, just be understanding of that. Like, I'm not doing it because I want to do your job still or whatever. Like I'm not trying to, right. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to step on your toes and make, exactly. and make you feel infant infantilized or anything like yeah. that. But yeah, exactly. But I'm, there's probably going to be a moment where I do something stupid. So, you know, yeah, I just make a call and chief it. I was actually, um, the thing I was doing last night, just kind of interacting with sailors. And, uh, yeah. I, I was feeling myself interacting in a way that a chief would interact. Uh, yeah. And not, not necessarily not in a way that an officer would, but it's like I was definitely having more of the chief conversations. There's no doubt about that. And right? I don't and I was like, think Ugh. that's bad. I think there's because there that you're going to have to figure out what is you just um, like being a good leader and building some kind of like team leader relationship with your subordinates that I think is I think it's productive, but like it's a different kind of you're towing a different line now instead of yeah. the one between chief and and division you're towing the line of officer and enlisted and without stepping on chief's toes so it's like i think you can for sure form a really like cool rapport where you're close to your your division and um like you're able to have conversations with them and stuff like that but just there needs to be an understanding of where the lines are where like you need to go talk to chief first um, yeah, but I don't like I don't think there's any harm in that. And I think that might be something that like maybe is part of the in dot conversation of like, look, I'm probably going to interact with sailors more and differently than you're used to, but I'm still going to respect those boundaries. So just understand that, like, if sailors are coming to me and they're coming to me with stuff that is clearly like them skipping you, I will send them to you first. Like this isn't yeah. a me thing. Yeah. This is you need to go talk to your chief. But then, you know, like the them being able to come talk to you about stuff, I think is a good thing 
as long as there's an understanding that it's not like I'm not, you're not skip skipping chief. the chain. Of, yeah, you're not yeah. skipping the chain of yeah. command. And it's like that's going to be a new thing for you to like figure out how to be able to do that. But I, I like because I would always my supply officer on the boat was always wanting to like interact and be friendly with the junior sailors. And it was like, I was okay with it as long as they understood that she was still the boss. And she got to the point where like, she was trying to, she was trying to like almost buy their, uh, their, like she just wanted them to like her. And so she would like bake stuff all the time. And and she did it to the point like she was bringing in brownies and cookies and stuff. And she did it a few (laughs) times. And like the first few times I let it go. And then when she was talking about doing it again, right after having done it, I was like, chop. No, I was like, slow, like give it a break. Like you don't need to buy their loyalty. They already like you. They uh, and it, it's going to get to a point where it's you're getting unduly familiar like it's there. You're creating mm-hmm. this expectation mm-hmm. and you're doing kind of weird mom stuff. It's like which I don't entirely <laughs> there. There's a balance like I don't enti- I don't want you to not do it ever, but I don't want you doing it every week. You know what I mean? You like know it's what's so it's, tough. It's a weird about- it's a weird line to tiptoe. What's so tough about the Navy in general is that. We understand the value and the importance of, and this is kind of a little bit of me of like the organizational leadership, formal training. Like we understand the value of a flat organization and that everybody can uh, know their role, understand their role and operate pretty much autonomously inside of that role, like within those, those left and right boundaries. But we're also an organization that like highly values our, our, vertical top down yeah leadership like hierarchy style, yeah <laughs> which is like it's so counterintuitive like at what point do we just say yeah um look i'm a division officer right and it, in that in that scope i have to do these things there's no doubt about that right but just because i have to do these things as a division officer doesn't mean that you're and this is my interpretation of a vertical hierarchy structure mm-hmm. Anybody below somebody is going to feel less than, right? For some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because I'm a division officer and I'm the one signing this doesn't mean that, yeah, sorry. Uh, doesn't Keep mean going. that like I'm better than you. Right. And that's like, a st- that is the, that is the toughest line for me Yeah. to, to, like kind of navigate because like, I want you to understand that I think that you are just as valuable to this team as I am, Mm -hmm. but I have to do it in a way that is not unduly familiar or doesn't make the Navy think that I'm, it's just, it's frustrating. Yeah. It's frustrating. It's, it's funny because it's, it's a line that, so like the, the fact that somebody like you or I get frustrated by that, that balance is telling because most people don't have uh, like the same experience and level of knowledge. Like they haven't studied this stuff in the same way. So they're less equipped to deal with it. And that's why you get into these muddy waters quite a bit. And yeah. why a lot of people just don't do it. Like they just stay on the other side of that boundary all the time. And they're like, Oh no, I don't, I'm not doing that because that's not my role. And I'm because I'm the officer or I'm whatever. And it's like, for me, the more I've promoted and the longer I've done it, the less of a separation I've wanted. And the the more I've tried to like fight against the idea that I'm better than or somehow superior. And and it's 
because the no matter what anyone says, like no matter how bitter the junior sailor is, the more separation there is by rank, the less and less they feel like they can interact, which is it's really strange to me because what I've found is it's and, and again, it's with experience and knowledge and um, like constant study. Right. I've, yeah. It's become easier and easier for me to maintain a boundary of yes i'm a master chief but also we're both human beings that have done the same job and so like i relate to them largely through um the fact that i've been where they are and i understand the experience they're going through and also like just treating them like human beings and and it's it goes a lot, so far it's yeah it's a lot simpler crazy. Than, than most people think because it's like creating a sense of of worth for those people that um that that are discounting their own own worth in relation to yours just based on that position or rank or whatever is incredibly yeah. simple by just by my basically dismantling that idea through behavior like just treating them like they're a person and so it's like when i go out of my way to meet those needs of like you know all the Maslow stuff i always talk about it's and, and for you and your role as an officer, I think you'll it'll be less prevalent because it's it's more going to be like you observing and and um, like auditing the behavior and actions of your chiefs and uh, LPOs and making sure that they're doing those things, because really they're the ones that should be doing the functional meeting of needs. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But you could also do some of it by making them feel like part of the team and making them feel like they have value to the organization by like literally telling them that. And just like, just a, a division officer, like showing face, like going to the scullery and like hanging out for a minute and just talking and, and making them feel valued. And then like one of the ones I always talk about is like during stores loads, like I would, I would generally send my supply officer, I'd hand her some money and say, go buy everybody food and then bring it back or go on a drink run. Or I would go all like up to the mini mart, buy everybody's favorite energy drink and come back. I didn't do it every day, but when we were doing something really hard and it sucked, that was generally when I would play that card and it just made them feel like I cared about them because I did. Mm -hmm. So that helps, but you can demonstrate <laughs> through actions that like you do um, and it can be as simple as you just spending time talking to them at, while maintaining yeah. that boundary because it's never I've never found myself in a situation where I've been unable to um, kind of like start to lean into like that I'm your superior and that like I'm I'm exercising some accountability mechanism or or whatever where I'm I'm saying like I'm master chief and I or I'm chief or I'm senior chief or whatever at the time. Like I'm your LPO, I'm your LCPO, I'm your department chief. Like I've never not been able to do that while somehow altering my, like I'm not two-faced. Yeah. I don't have an alter ego. Like I'm still the same guy all the time. And I, they've just grown to understand that like he's fair, he's firm, but he's always got our best interests at heart. And when you just do that and treat them like human beings and meet their needs, because like, I don't think it's that big of a difference for me to like, um, go to a courthouse with one of my sailors and sit there for three hours while we wait and then go in there and sit there and be there during the court date and and then come back out and then t help them talk to their lawyer and then walk out with them and also be the guy that like uh, calibrates them when they're late to watch or whatever, you know, yeah. like and then does yeah. training and then, is, you know, like I don't 
I, cause, and I mean, I'm talking like I went and picked a guy up when he's like getting, he was about to get arrested for domestic stuff and all this other crap. I went to his house and the cops are there and it's like, I don't need to do that. I'm doing it cause I care about him. And so, mm-hmm. and he knows that. So it like, you're building that rapport, but it's like, I'm still senior. I'm still, and he's like, my name is still senior. He's still treating me in that way. We're still, ha- we still have that relationship. So it's like, it's not, uh, it's not something where I feel like I'm on one side of the line or the other. It's always, it's always felt like, um, well, not always, but like I've developed into a, like matured into a place that I feel like it's pretty simple to be able to do those things because I just recognize that it's all part of my role as a leader to like care for them and to, uh, do all the other typical things that leaders associate with their, their station or, or, or wherever they're at. But like I can do those like the caring about them part and making them feel human and meeting their needs without being unduly familiar. And it's it's like once I was able to untangle that, it's it's really simple to me to apply it, I guess. And I mean, no, it's not it's not it's not complicated for me to apply the like it's frustrating, but like I navigate it pretty well, but I navigated it pretty well while also still being enlisted. Right. And you know, that's like the I, I, I had yeah. the, yeah, exactly. Like yeah, I had the, for you, yeah. I'm, I'm still, I'm one of you. I'm here. Like, yeah, sure, yeah. I'm chief, blah, 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 or HM1 or whatever, but uh, we're still samesies. But now yeah. that's not true anymore. Like, it's a, it's a whole well, different, it's a, sort it's a of. whole different, uh, sort of. You but still like, have the context. Like, you still have, you still had the enlisted experience. So you still have that ability to relate. I think the biggest difference is going to be kind of like, how and when you know what i mean like it's yeah i think that'll be the the biggest change as as time goes on i'll lose more and more of that context you will like 100 which is like i don't know that's one of the things that i wrote down this is like two weeks ago um that was something that scared me it's like i will start to lose Mm -hmm. the pulse of what i think i know and I will continue to act on information that was two, four, six years ago. But it's augmented, the last time that I was in there. Augmented by all your officer experience too. So it's like I, I Yeah, but you're not I only gonna that, be I acting think that, on that. Yeah, but I think that uh, you know, I'm <laughs> that experience is not necessarily handy in an enlisted in an enlisted no, world. I'm saying, you know I'm I mean? saying you're gonna get more and more detached from junior sailors because as you promote through the ranks, because your junior sailors are gonna become junior officers effectively. So you're still gonna be doing similar things, mm. but you're mm. not like you're gonna be further detached from enlisted, even though you'll still have some interactions. And I think you'll just be uh it'll it'll be a thing that you'll you unlike a lot of others more senior officers will be a lot more cognizant of the need to go interact and make them feel important because like the higher up you get the more of an impact it's going to have like holy crap suppos down here like like i've like most people probably on an aircraft carrier have never seen their suppo in real life they've just seen like a picture on a command board (laughs) but it's like for you if you ever got to that position and then you walking through the galley during lunch or one of the galleys during lunch and like taking the time to like say what's up and like uh, tell them they're important. Like for them, I mean, that that'd probably shake the earth in a lot of their worlds because they never even see that guy. And you're like taking yeah. putting a paper hat on and walking through the galley and making those people feel important. It's like that's pretty cool. And you can you won't be able to do it as nearly as much as you did as a divo, but you can still do it. 
And then mm. outside of that, largely the interactions that you're going to have with a junior sailor, even as like an ASUPO, you're going to, your junior sailors are going to become junior officers and you're going to be doing the same thing for them that you did for uh, like junior sailors as a chief. And like, I think that doesn't happen as much as it should in the officer community, at least not that I've been able to observe. Like there's definitely some mm. good ones out there that are doing that, but it, it feels like officers don't put as much emphasis on like mentorship and, and like, tr like teaching the, the leadership and management stuff. Um, I mean, and I mean, I, uh, most of my exposure is to like 1120 nuclear trained. Yeah. I was going to say like officers. in the supply so, community, it is maybe huge, they do. Dude. Well, yeah, so yeah. Oh, and huge. I know you, I know you guys network and there's a lot more of that, that kind of stuff going on. So like, hopefully yeah. it's already built into the natural progression, but yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, I think that's what will that's what will inevitably happen is like your junior sailors are going to become more and more. The scale is going to shift towards they're going to be junior officers. More officers. Though, yeah, 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 you'll yeah, have like sense. chiefs that you're interacting with and you'll have some like some rare exposure to junior sailors, but it's going to be more and more rare as you promote, you know? Yeah. 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 So I hear you. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, so it's still something I'm worried about, though. You know, like it's just—I don't know, yeah. man. It's just yeah. a, like new frontier, something it's that you the don't unknown, understand. Man. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the like, unknown. It, like just, and especially now, like <laughs> in, the, in the like what I'm doing now, uh, all I got, all I got is time to think about like what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's I just the unknown, man. The, You'll yeah. a lot of that anxiety will go away once you get in there, and I think you're going to be like, because it's the same thing. Like I talk to my therapist all the time about the anxiety of like the unknown of retirement where it's like i'm 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 super anxious about things that are largely just like a boogeyman in the fog of war you know what i mean like i don't even right. it's not even real most of the time and yeah. uh but i just i don't know because i've never retired from the military i've never transitioned i've never um like moved to a different state where i didn't have like a duty station and orders attached to it and i've never like there's just a lot of things that I, I, I've never had to do before. Uh, I've never sold a house before. Like, I, I don't know. There's like, I've never um, been decoupled from military service as an adult, really. So it's like, yeah. there's just all this stuff that I'm, I'm like, oh my God, what if I don't make enough money or what if I don't, I can't find a job or what if, you know, like, I don't know, man. Like, and it's all this stuff that like, when you really sit down and analyze what's the worst case scenario is, it's really not that bad. Um, but mm. I still build up these like, but maybe there's something I'm not considering or this thing that like, there's like this infinitesimal chance of happening. Like, yeah. It, and I just like, you know what I mean? Like I just build this narrative in my mind where there's something to be nervous or afraid of. Um, and then when I actually arrive at that place, it's almost entirely untrue. You know, like there, yeah, there's going to be some speed bumps, but it's like, you know, I'm building it up to be this thing that it's really not. So it's like when you get to sit there and dwell on the unknown, I mean, of course you're going to be freaking out about it, but you'll probably, yeah. and they're all, you're going to, you're going to walk into a few doors, man. But like, you're going to like, head, like take some lumps, but it's, I think it'll be, it'll be way, uh, understated when compared to like this anxiety sure. you have of a thing you're like building up in your mind. Sure. Oh yeah. Well, that's always the truth, man. Yeah. 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 I think it'll be good. That's man. always the truth. But yeah, man, it's, you know, overall I'm excited about it. I'm super stoked. Yeah. I'm, I'm super stoked, man. I got yeah. like, as far as everything goes, um, all the things that I wanted to hit, uh, yeah. hit, you know, I, w I wanted to snag 
I wanted to snag an L deck. I wanted to be on a big deck. Yeah. Um, it's just everything's everything's coming up That's pieces awesome. for me right now, which is pretty which is pretty sweet. Have you been to Norfolk before? Not once. <sighs> Good luck. It's no, man. Like everybody, everybody says that, but like I don't. I think the yeah. people, I think the people that are like like super against Norfolk are the ones that like aren't already established with families and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I've never been stationed there, but I've visited enough to know that I never want to be stationed. Which I mean, I don't have a problem. Now, <laughs> like just the yeah. traffic and then the uh, the it can't walking be worse or, than San Diego. It can't be worse. Yeah, but it depends on where you live. I know that, but yeah, it's there are places where it is brutal like it takes hours to go like a a distance that would take 15 minutes with no traffic but no um but yeah like the the other part is like that base like i would go visit to go when i was at the army base i would go down there to get you know like navy exchange medical stuff like that and i would walk through that exchange and basically be i would have to like like put imaginary blinders on and just be like, they have a chief, they have a chief, they have a chief. And just like walking <laughs> through the night. Cause otherwise I would never oh, get out of the exchange no. without like <laughs> just obliterating people. And it's like, I can only imagine what it's like now because even on the base I'm on now, the sub base, it's like it, hair, hair regs aren't enforced anymore because there was temporarily that waiver for COVID and now it's gone. But it's like just people just don't care and they're not getting haircuts. <laughs> and then like, right. it's just like it's it's way worse than it used to be where like nobody's maintaining any kind of standards. And it's like I've just gotten to this place where it's like I'm I'm basically retired. This isn't my problem anymore. Like I don't have the patience or the bandwidth to even think about it anymore. <laughs> but like, yeah, I remember when I used to I was still hyper like hyper engaged back then. And so like when I would walk through Norfolk exchange i would be like just my head just like i'm like my my mind is on fire my skin is burning i'm like i gotta get out of here yesterday so i'm i'm by myself this weekend with my son um and we went to the grocery store was it yesterday two days ago i don't know it doesn't really matter but we were in the parking lot i'm getting him out of his his booster seat and I see someone walking into the grocery store with just a, a brown undershirt on. Mm-hmm. And I like I st- like I had him pulling out of the car and staring at the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I and looked at my son and I was like, you like, know what? Huh? Not I, my I, circus, I, not my monkeys. And yeah. my, son, my son repeated it back to me. And I was like, that's, that's right, bud. Not my monkey. <laughs> yeah. And it's you just. That's you, what you got to kind of tell yourself. And it's like I found that like over time, I kind of like even when I was still hyper engaged, I got to a place where I sort of did that because it was just like I can't be Disgusting. everybody's chief. Like I can't if no one else is enforcing the standard, kind of like you're saying about the RDCs. Like it's it's like if no one else is enforcing the standards to the point that um like i see a lot of chiefs at, like doing stuff that i'm just like like what are we like i'm not telling anybody to get their hands out of their pockets if i constantly see chiefs doing it and i do my cmc did it all the time and i'm just like bro i love you but i'm gonna like, be stop I'm gonna be it flat out when it comes to me like me, 
hands in the pocket is like my go-to disarming technique when I'm talking to people, right? Like I'll put my hand in my pocket to be like, Hey, look, I break rules too. <laughs> I like, mean, <laughs> I, like I'm at a point now where I don't even like, it's just, just deleted out of the uniform regs. It like, is, it's, you, un- oh, it's, absolutely it's an unenforceable standard that d- exists for really no reason. So it's like, just get yeah. rid of it. Cause everybody does it, oh. including like commanding officers, like the CNO does it at all hands calls. Like, what are we doing? Yep. Um, but sure. anyway, like who really cares? But the, the that kind of stuff, like just hair regs, uniform regs, all of it. It's like I remember and this was 20, I don't know, like 2016, probably like not even 2015. I'm sitting in uh, medical and there's this chief who has like stop sign red hair, like dyed, like bright stop sign <laughs> red. And I'm just wow. like, I like if you're a chief walking around a naval base, I just I give up like because there yeah. is no standard if that's like if we're allowing that and like I yep. just come on like what are we doing and so mm-hmm. yeah man it's just like that kind of stuff I, I'm that's very much how I felt in OCS man yeah very much, like like I was I was like but these are the rules and like everybody was like yeah but nobody no cares. one I'm cares like and it's so much worse uh, after COVID yeah I didn't have I didn't have a good answer to that like well no yeah. one cares I'm like well but I do and yeah, I mean, I, I still I still do in a lot of ways just because like, I don't know, like it hurts me when I see somebody looking sloppy in uniform. And it's not because yeah. I, it's not because I have some like prime directive or programming that you have to comply or else it's not like a that kind of robotic thinking. It's like a that you're wearing our nation's cloth. And that means a lot to me. The heritage behind it, the the significance of not yeah. just like the naval tradition and heritage, but also like your rating and your warfare community. There's just all this stuff where I feel like it just feels disrespectful. And like I understand people's argument yeah. against it in certain certain ways, because like um, like that same dude, Dan, that I was talking about earlier, argues against like haircut regs because he's like, go look at a picture of John Bassalone and then come talk to me about hair regs. And I'm like, OK, right. Fair point. But he looked professional and squared away in every picture I've ever seen of him. So, like, regardless of the length of his hair or the styling or whatever, it's like, for me, however we're going to decide to do it, like, whatever the rules are, I just want you to look professional and squared away. Like, and that's, you know, you say that and what does that really mean? Like, I was going to say, like, like, infinitely subjective. (laughs) I mean, sort of. But to me, it's like the thing that gets me is like when somebody looks like they slept in their uniform, when their pants aren't bloused correctly, when their boots are Uh, just annihilated, when they need a haircut. Um, and, and again, if we move the goalposts of what it means to need a haircut, okay, I like whatever, man, the air force barely has hair regs anymore. And if, if mm-hmm. we're going to do that, like, so like now we have ponytails and all this other stuff. It's like, okay, cool. Have a squared away ponytail that conforms to the regs. Like, that's all I'm saying. Like if they change stuff, fine, change it, but do the, do the thing that it says in the book. And it's like, and I'm, uh, I'm entirely on board with like reasonable regs. Like one of the, yeah. uh, I used to like tell my instructors, like when they temp- they reinstated ball cast, but you couldn't put your bun through the hole. And they were just like, this is absurd. And I'm like, well then put your bun through. Like, I, I mean, they explained yeah. it to me. I'm like, that makes complete sense to me. Just do it. And they're like, Oh, thank God. You know, like, I'm like, I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna say anything to you. Um, and I just don't, the, the thing for me is like I, I want the organization to be represented in a way and the warfare community and the and the whatever, man, like the whoever you yeah. are, whatever you're doing, like because we all take a lot of of 
pride in what we do and the community in which we do it or, or whatever. Um, like, you know, you see the Corman birthday stuff during the Corman birthday, you see the submarine stuff, you know, the submarine mm-hmm, birthday or mm-hmm. whenever, you know, like, and so we take all this pride in our heritage and, um, being a part of our communities or our ratings or whatever. And it's like, I just wish we took the same amount of pride in our uniform appearance, whatever that is, like whatever we decide the, the standard is going to be. I just wish that I wish that we built and like, and I talk about a lot about how the Marines are able to build this pride in being a Marine, even in the Marines that like they're bitter, they're angry, they're jaded. They want to get out. They can't wait to get their D 14 blanket. But like though, even those ones, when they get out are so moto about being Marines, like I'm, yeah, but like, like, I don't know how many Marines you've worked with, but that comes with a lot of baggage. Like what do you, you mean? can do it. Um, what do you know ha- about their I, boot camp? What do you? I like, haven't. I, not much. I haven't okay, worked so, with a bunch. Of, I've worked with a handful of Marines, and and most of them were very senior. Like they're not. They're not allowed to talk stuff. to. They're not allowed for three months to talk in first person. How, what does that mean? Like they're like they have to refer to themselves as this recruit oh. constantly. Like they're not allowed to talk. They're not allowed to talk in first person. They're not allowed to think in first person because they are no longer as a Marine. And like, I want to be careful how I represent this because I've never gone through the boot camp. But what I've seen is I need to get trying to you are trying to instill such a level of institutional conformity. Yeah. And break down that individual so much that you do not allow them to think as an individual. They okay. are a Marine. The, like the reason well, that look, pride comes I, in is because like. They, I'm not they, saying they, it's they, perfect. I'm just saying yeah, like there's a component saying, like, of it that I think they're doing right. Whether we go, <laughs> you know, like, you know, whether we do it exactly how it. they do it or we improve on the process or whatever. I, I, but like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, all I'm saying is I'm just not sure that you're going to be able to get that kind of result without that kind of yeah that's fair uh in-depth indoctrination you know what i mean like yeah everything has a cost true i yeah you know if you want like marines are that way because marines all went through a a shared traumatic experience called boot camp (laughs) right which i don't know man like i i need to get a marine on if there's any marines listening hit me up i i need to get like that perspective from somebody i need to go find like a di or something that like so that i can understand (laughs) what they're doing that is or is not good you know what i mean like because maybe it's not like maybe there is maybe they would even agree that um there's a certain component that went through season at at ocs this last season you should get me his info and i'll stalk him and try her her info yeah i will even better yeah even better because yeah i'm really curious about how hmm. like how it works what they do how they do it and then whether or not they they look at it and and like analyze it to be all productive or partially productive or you know what i mean like because because you're saying my perspective knowing who it is it would be interesting listening to her perspective about it Oh, I would love it. And it's even better that she has the perspective of going through the season, dude. She's cool with that. Yeah. The fact that she went through the season would make it even more that like that would be the perfect person to do it. So. So so in the last the last phase of OCS, you're you're called a candidate officer or a candio. Right. And basically Mm -hmm. you're running the schoolhouse. This is why the RDCs and the DIs aren't. Okay. 
there all the time is because candios are there all the time and without okay. so like you become this in this fourth phase you're no longer in training you've passed all of your inspections you passed all of your tests you're going mm-hmm. to graduate as long as you don't you know egregiously screw up somewhere right um and as a candio like i you kind of get the opportunity to go and talk with the staff of ocs as like people like mm-hmm. like at that point you, you you're yeah, very much a division of, officer yeah. kind of, and they're okay. going to be your chief. Right. And they mm. are trying to, to mold what that relationship is going to look like. So, mm. um, throughout the entirety, like the entire OCS experience, this one, this particular gunnery sergeant that I'm talking about, um, it like just absolutely feared, feared. Yeah. I wonder um, if it's the same, like there was this, uh, female, like they it was kind of like an nmti in the navy but the marines at that army base they had a detachment there where like basically it was basically the same thing they were like an nmti but for the marine corps and a lot of them were prior di's and this lady was one of them and we did a chief season event where she was involved and she was a staff sergeant at the time and she was one of the ones like we basically like delivered the 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 chief selects on a bus like they were recruits and they like were waiting and they just started blasting them and they put them through like a a combat fitness test but they were yelling at them like they were recruits and uh and so like and well she made no i think she was a gunny actually because i because it was hilarious because the the she's now a master chief but the the chief that I put through the season at that point, like the whole time she was yelling, she was like, I got a sergeant. I got a sergeant. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, and she yeah. was screaming that at her and she like, it was, it, she was incredible. It was so good. Like it was, yeah, it was her and like a couple of dudes and man, like she was amazing. It's yeah, probably not the same yeah, person yeah. though. She's probably, I mean, I would imagine she's promoted or retired to like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. she's probably promoted past Gunny or retired at this point. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll reach out to her and see if she's going yeah. to be sharing contact Please do. info. But, that would be um, fire. But like it, in the Candio phase, I went, cause I found out she was in season, right. Mm-hmm. Or that yeah. she went through season. Yeah. Um, and she hung out with a lot of like the Corman, like a couple of the Corman chiefs that were RDCs there. Um, and once word kind of circulated that I was a prior chief, um, mm-hmm. my candio phase was a little bit different than everybody else's because I was a prior chief, right? Like there, yeah. there wasn't so All much the chiefs those. were, yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah. um, it was very much kind of like I was in the mess again during yeah. those three weeks, which was weird. Um, but, uh, she ended up asking me for a charge. While I'm in OCS, like, yeah, dude, it was, it was a really cool conversation. And like, so, so seeing her absolutely feared for like nine weeks. Right. And then seeing her on the other side, like in my head, I'm like, what's with the act? Why do we do this? It's yeah. I mean, there's a certain expectation of her job that. You know what I mean? Well, like that's what, yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. Which so is why this, like that whole conversation, if you could have it from would her, be yeah, I was gonna say from, interesting. from her perspective, she's executing a curriculum. You know what I mean? No like, doubt about that. Yep. So yeah, and that's really cool though that she was willing to do that because I've done that with like all, every chief I've put through the season as a, a sponsor or whatever. I've at the, t- sometime in the season I have them put a charge in my charge book, and they were like, "You want to charge from me?" And I'm like, "Yeah, like I want to." I like everybody <laughs> like it. 
it's one of those things that like everybody can teach me something and you have yeah. a perspective on me from where you've interacted with me that is going to be unique that like a, some master chief I'm asking for a charge isn't going to have. Um, so yeah, no, that's awesome that like she did. Yeah, I, I think a lot more people should do that. I should have brought my charge book with me to OCS. I didn't know like how that was going to be looked at. So I, I chose not yeah. to, yeah. Um, but I should have, because during that whole phase, I ended up getting a different logbook and and getting people yeah. to put to put charges in that well one. And I'm, dude i'm at a point so now, now i got like two different ones <laughs> i'm at a point yeah i'm at a point now where i'm almost out of room dude like i have yeah. i i've continued to because i kind of turned it into a scrapbook too so like i've populated yeah. it with a lot of messages like so like i think your email is in there from when you first contacted me <laughs> about the podcast because like dude that was a that's a crazy email for somebody like me to get that's like you've literally changed how i chief or whatever or how i look at the yeah team. man so like stuff yeah. i've gotten a bunch of messages in that vein that were like pretty awesome feedback that made me like gave me a lot of like satisfaction in the fact that i'm doing this and making an impact and so like, and even like a lot, I've had a lot of A school students that have contacted me um, and thanked me for whatever, you know, like I, I've kept in touch with a lot of them and mentored them through sure. their careers. And so I've get like, like cool messages that way. And so like, I've cut them out and I like use that one side lamination paper and like, dude, the whole freaking thing is I can barely close it. So I'm getting to the yeah. point now where it's like, I might start a second book just cause like I need to, I have, I want to continue to compile things. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I use mine as a, I use mine as a journal mostly now. Like that's yeah. my, that's my going and reflecting when I come up with, when, when things happen, that's when I'll yeah. write it down and be like, this is what I did. This is why I agree with it. This is why yeah. I think that I screwed up or whatever. Yeah. My wife started journaling recently and um, she seems to like it and, like I've thought about it, but then I kind of feel like I do a lot of it on the podcast where it's like, I talk about all my experiences and yeah. like it's very, it's very work related. A lot of it, but um, it's, it's, it's the so, same thing. So the yeah. only difference that I found at least is that by writing, you have to slow your thinking down to the speed at which you write. Yeah. Um, which forces you to be much more judicious in the words that you choose. And like, yeah, you're, you're, you're saying things that are much more meaningful, I think, when you're writing it down because you're yeah, thinking about it deeper. I've noticed it a little different when I do the thought lab stuff. And I like there's been a couple that I've I've maybe rushed a little bit, but the ones that I really have time to sit down and do research and then write it the way that I want to write it, I find like it that I'm doing it in a way that it's almost like I feel like um I'm communicating it in a, in a better way. Like I'm communicating it in, in the way that I actually want to on the first try or like I edit it. But then when I record it, it's like there's times in the podcast where I'll listen back during some edits and I don't listen to the whole thing anymore generally. Um, but I'll listen to parts where I'm like, ah, man, I wish I would have talked about this or whatever. Whereas yeah. when I'm writing it, it's, I get time to like, do that and then i record it the audio and sometimes i'll i'll say something different and then go back and edit the article before i post it or i'll add something in or whatever and so mm -hmm, it's yeah mm -hmm. I, I it's pretty i like i've found that i like writing a lot more than i thought i would um, yeah i, I just, yeah I, I started doing it in OCS. well no i started doing it before but i started doing it in earnest in ocs because i was writing like yeah. my experience every day because i was just for the first three oh, weeks yeah. dude i was just <laughs> i was on fire like every yeah. day like i hate this what is this this is stupid yeah. um, i feel like i would have 
like nowadays, like I think about it and I'm like, I feel like I would go into something like that if it happened to me right now as like a joke almost like I would I would just laugh at what was happening because I I, I completely yeah. understand the everything that's going on behind the scene like i completely understand that this is all an act and they're doing yeah. it for a training objective and they're trying to oh my god dude. you so you I'm had just said like, this earlier about how like boot camp and ocs is just not preparing sailors for a fleet that actually exists yeah. and i i was telling i was telling my classmates all the time i'm like guys that was that mm-hmm. was snow globe la- navy that was yeah. not yeah that's not that's fantasy land and that's what's unfortunate like, about those pipelines is that like i i I really hate that the that reality isn't built in because it's almost like we want like I was talking to my wife about this the other day. She was complaining about how um, the way they write the schedule at her work. uh, She works at a coffee stand and she's like a shift supervisor and about to be a manager, I think. And um, but she was complaining about how they're writing the schedule because there's certain things like they have a lot of of very like a lot of parallels in the way that like we do things in the Navy where there's like an SOP for everything and a checklist and a very specific yeah. standard that they want in how everything's done. But then they staff them in a way that it's impossible to accomplish all these things. And I'm like, you just described the Navy like there's never enough people <laughs> to do all these stupid programs or like they'll come yeah. out as nav admin directing you to do certain things and like, when am I supposed to do this? Um, so she was complaining about the other day and that's the way that I kind of think about the training pipeline is they're envisioning this thing that is impossible to accomplish Mm -hmm. or we need to like, it's either that, either that's reality and they need to change the training pipeline to better reflect reality or they need to, uh, radically adjust like the expectation and enforcement of standards like in the fleet I don't think either of those things are going to happen, but like yeah, maybe it's a, necessary to be honest. I do. I well, don't. So like, what do you I think, think the it's a me- of OCS and boot camp are? So what's the training objective? It's like a, a to me, it's like a cultural indoctrination mechanism. It's like a the training objective is to uh, like prepare their minds to assimilate into whatever military community they're going into, and to be able to function within the hierarchy and its norms and whatever. So it's like, Mm -hmm. but I think the way that they do it, there's this huge letdown that happens when people arrive and they're looking for snow globe Navy. And it's not, it's like, it's not real. Like that, that's not how, like the way you're taught to interact, to address people, to prepare your uniform, to do all like nobody does that in the fleet. Like, I mean, there's a couple of unicorns out there that do, but like largely, the the interactions that you're prepared for and the th- even even for you guys like when you're doing knife and fork stuff like i don't know how it happens on a on a, a big deck maybe they do it better but like on submarines it's like really informal right. and ch- it's like so you're just i don't know there's just yeah. so many examples of you're being prepared for a navy that doesn't exist so then the letdown is is very large and i think that that letdown what, the way in which those people adjust to that letdown and adjust to the reality that the, the, this Navy doesn't exist is is negative. Like, I think it affects their ability to assimilate. I think it affects their um, willingness to um, like conform to any other standards in the future, because then they're assuming that they're flexible or they're not 
like, oh, yeah, okay, they're training us on how to do this thing, but it's probably going to be more cowboy, like, when we actually start doing it, where they're like, you know, like, oh, well, yeah, the book says to do it this way, but this is how we really do it. And that leads to, like, I've seen that lead to, like, real life, like, work controls violations, uh, safety issues, like, people get hurt or people get in trouble or whatever when that attitude exists of like, well, this is how we actually do it, even though the book says or the school says or whatever. So I would, I would counter that the purpose of OCS and the purpose of boot camp. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. You're fine. My dog was doing it earlier. Um, The purpose of OCS and the purpose of boot camp is to execute and perform at battle stations. That's it. But why? Or general quarters. Because um, an average civilian pulling them, putting them on a boat mm-hmm. and putting them in a battle scenario are not going to react well when they're getting screamed at to do something, are not going to react well under pressure in order to put a fire out that your entire ship is dependent on not existing. And they're not going to react well in those just generally high, high stress environments. So the purpose of boot camp and OCS, and I'm kind of talking off the top of my head here. I haven't thought about this yeah. significantly right now, but like, in my opinion, the purpose is to get people mentally prepared to deal with a general quarter situation. And that's it. I the mean, actual functional Navy, not boot camp and OCS. That's more a school. And in all reality, that's more first duty station. Yeah. I mean, if that were entirely true, then all you have to do is strip away like some surface level. St- yeah, you know I mean, like all you'd have to do is strip away and or teach in a different way that like, um, like no one addresses anybody as petty officer. Like it just doesn't happen. Like, um, yeah, some yeah. of the formal I mean, communication. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. like some of the stupid formality stuff. Some of the even just a realistic, realistic expectation of like, um, like the uniform standards. Like, yes, like we're teaching you like optimal, but you're not going to shine your boots every day, like unless you're an idiot like me, like that has. Yeah, I was going to say, why not? Impossible <laughs> expectation. Like, I'm just saying, like, unless if you're on shore yeah. duty and you've got the bandwidth, yeah. but like on a ship, it it like it doesn't make sense. Like, and I did it anyway because I'm I'm a moron and I thought I needed to, like, communicate this unattainable standard. I mean, wow, it was atta- look at it, me. <laughs> it was attainable, but like, I'm just saying, like, I thought I needed to show them that mm-hmm. it, like these things could be done to kind of try to get them to strive for do them yeah um but yeah the the uh, but i i was trying to be like the exemplar not just like a good leader i i wanted to be like the best so that they you know meet me halfway i don't know like i was trying to i was essentially trying to be perfect even though i knew it was a fool's errand um but yeah Yeah. like i just think that those pipelines there's a there's a lot and, and you could because i would say like if it, if it is preparing you for that there should just be like a damage control general quarters focused part of like phase of boot camp that's only well, that because i feel like there is a ton of value in somebody showing up to a ship and really being able to fight the ship in that way like be, maybe being actually yeah. like function like really qualified some kind of entry level basic dc type thing because like i have this fear that when if if and when we get in a shooting war it's 
there's going to be a really steep learning curve. There is it everywhere. Yeah, but like, and I think there will always be. But what I'm saying is like, if ships start getting shot at today, I don't think there's enough people that know how to fight the ship in the way that they need to. And I think like they like to, I remember them playing the forest all fire thing for me in boot camp. And it's mm-hmm. like, I bet you if there was a forest all fire, you'd see a lot of the same things happen because I don't think anybody puts time, a time and effort into training damage control. Like we way do city. on submarines. Was it, was it the way city that oh, burnt the Bonhomme uh, Shard burnt to the ground, but that was different. Yeah. Bonhomme Shard. Yeah. No, there was somebody were put in a, a bunch dock. of rags in like a fan room. Um, um, this wasn't this was like oh five ten years ago maybe i don't know but like there's examples yeah consistently there's a bunch of, yeah. of yeah no i agree with you and i mean yeah. if you look at the beginning of the the iraq and the afghanistan wars the army and the marine corps and it got messed up yeah messed up um yeah for the first couple years uh, or like the first couple months, really, and I then just, and then they kind of figured it out. Nobody shot I, at the Navy, but I for think a long there's time. yeah, but I think there's a way that we could be preparing that we're not, and it's like and I, yeah, maybe. the frustrating part for me is like there's this understanding. Like if you ever listen to Jocko talk about, um, so he went to over to Afghan or Iraq. I think he was just in Iraq a couple times. I don't remember, but I know he's in Iraq yeah. for sure. A couple like once or twice. But he said when he went back and he ran training, he said like it was the most important thing to me was taking all those lessons learned from Iraq deployments and applying them in the training pipeline so that they learned before they went over there all of the pitfalls that we encountered and all the lessons so that they don't have the same issues and loss of life and whatever. And it's like for me, I'm like, okay, so I'm sure they're still training on those things so that if they are like, if seals are in the same scenarios again in the future, they have the benefit of those lessons learned. And it's like, we've been in, in large scale shooting wars with ships and submarines. So there's a ton of lessons that we already have that we could already be training on. And I know like in some ways we are like how long ago, dude, like the institutional knowledge is gone. Uh, the people who did that stuff are yeah, not no, here. I, I mean, I know that, but you don't think there's that there's documentation and and like lessons mm. learned from those types of things. I, like, I think there are, but I think that the the training value significantly reduces <laughs> just by reading the document and then trying to create a training pipeline off of that. And I think that's what we've done is we Maybe. read the documents. We're like, oh, hey, this is look at the forestall. We should not do that again, and we try and create these training pipelines that that handle that but in in all reality and here's the the crutch of the matter right like every plan is awesome it, like every plan will survive until first contact with the enemy and after that it's <laughs> we <laughs> we got to figure it I out i mean i feel like we could do more is what i'm saying like i i don't disagree with you like i don't think we're going to be like totally prepared and mitigate all like damage and loss of life if there were to be like a maritime shooting war right but yeah i also feel like there's a ton that we could be doing that would mitigate a lot of like the problems that you would encounter if you know a ship if we had another coal right like if even if it was just like an isolated incident yeah it's a terrorist attack or like ship collision right like um those have ha- have happened recently where they had to do extensive damage control to keep the ship from sinking. 
So it's just those types of things. It's like we've had occurrences that where the experience and the lessons learned would translate. And it's like the only things that I feel like I usually see come out of those things is like, like little policy changes or like little um, like institutional norms change where like, so like firefighting on submarine change, submarines changed a little bit after the Miami fire. We definitely took significant lessons learned out of that. Um, but like the, yeah. I think the, the difference in the way that it impacted me was we apply those on a daily basis almost in our like constant drilling. Like we train and drill constantly for damage control scenarios on submarines and it's sure. everybody responding. It's not just there's not like just the damage control, like what Decket or whatever they do. On right. Surfaces. Right. So it's like. But in, in a big in a big scenario, like in a forestall fire scenario or like the ship just got like missiles launched at it and everything's on fire. It's like you're not going to be just like it's not just going to be damage control and repair lockers responding to casualties. It's going to be like a whole ship effort to fight the ship. And so to me, it's like there's got to be some entry level, like basic damage control competence programmed into a pipeline. And then there's got to be some like, then you get into like the rate and community specific stuff that, that would put us in a better position to fight the ship or fight the whatever. Um, I don't know. So man, the, it's just the, I mean the Fitzgerald and the um, McCain McCain. Yeah. Fitzgerald McCain. I mean, a pretty big thing did come out of those two collisions. It's just everybody kind of refers to it as a joke right now, right? Like the what? warrior toughness is the answer that the Navy has given based on that. I didn't know that was in response to those collisions. What, yeah. So yeah. why? What What about so, warrior toughness is a response to those collisions? Um, what they found What they found during the um, during those collisions is there was a lot of people that just froze. Right. Yeah. They just did not react quickly enough. Um, and they did that because nobody had or well, I don't know. I don't know the research behind this or like like I'm kind of I'm kind of speaking third hand, fourth hand knowledge right now. But um, at least part of the problem was that nobody had ever envisioned themselves realistically in a scenario where they had to decide whether or not they had to close the hatch from their shipmates or. Yeah what they needed to do in order to keep the ship floating. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's where I, this whole warrior toughness thing came from. I guess it's, it's an, not like just, it's, it's, it's kind of an odd response to me. I mean, I'm not saying, I don't think it's bad. I think it's going to add to resilience. Um, yeah. if it, if it's ever implemented on a large enough scale, like I know they're doing it in boot camp, and I guess that'll, that'll eventually like breed out all the people that haven't done it or whatever. But, no. um, but for me, like the, the, I've been in real life casualties on submarines and it's to me, it's I've never seen anybody freeze up. I'm sure it's happened, but like to me, it's you go on autopilot, like on a submarine, when you see a qualified submariner, as soon as a general alarm goes off, people just start doing stuff like you don't, there's yeah. no like lag time at all. You immediately react because it's like it's it's built it's like muscle memory it's just wired into you because you get yeah. so many repetitions doing this stuff that it's like you react like it's a drill and and yeah like your blood gets up a little more than it normally does but like when you're reacting to a drill like we simulate it in a way that 
the the initial rapid response and the initial like uh, casualty procedures, you react as if it's really happening. Like even in even in what we call the dive and drive trainer, like I'll be standing dive in this fake. It's not even a real submarine. It's like this thing on a hydraulic platform that like moves around. And yeah, you yeah, all the yeah. Panel, all the panels and all the things in there. And it's like that you you get lost in it eventually because it feels like you're in the control room of a submarine and it's moving kind of like it's supposed to. But, you know, it's fake and like the alarms sound kind of different and stuff like that. But it's you when the alarm goes off and you have to start taking your immediate actions and start doing the things like you get lost in it where you're freaking out, like trying to combat a, a jam dive where the submarine's going to mud dart at the bottom of the ocean if you don't get this thing figured out uh, and take the appropriate mm-hmm. action and recognize it when you're supposed to and whatever. Um, mm-hmm, and so you're, mm-hmm. you, I mean, you get your heart rate gets up, you start sweating a little bit. And so like when it actually happens in real life, it's not that different, except there's real smoke instead of a blanket, like, it <laughs> shit, shit yeah, in your face. Yeah. but it's like you, I've, I have never personally witnessed someone not responding appropriately. Like as far as like freezing up or just like not knowing what to do like i've seen there's definitely we have like non-quals who just literally don't know what to do and so you're telling them like just get over here and get out of the way and like but everybody else is responding everybody wearing dolphins and even some of the non-quals that are far enough along to basically know what to do everybody just responds they go exactly where they're supposed to do they do you know they go exactly where they're supposed to they do exactly what they're supposed to do they help in any way that they can and so it's just like it's Something that I, I guess the response I would expect is is more. And I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. Is more training, uh, as far, like, <laughs> not powerpoints, oh, no. not stupid videos with bad actors. I'm just talking about like like a an, a different understanding of what's required from sailors as far as damage control goes. Which yeah, I, like the fact that I'm saying that out loud would like it'd be like you're adding a layer of of training onto the plates of people who don't have any room on their plate and blah. So I like, I, I just say, I guess it would, you'd have to change the understanding of, of damage control training and the expectation you should have of the people on the ship all the time. But also like that would, you have to understand that in, in my saying this, I also think there's a, like a fundamental misunderstanding of what's important. Like I talked to Jason Thompson a bunch about this a while back of like, like we're evaluating people based on things that, if we got into a shoot, Bob Bob has said it too. Like his buddy often jokes, like yeah, we need a really good war right now, just to get rid of all the just like superfluous requirements and admin burden that isn't like if yeah. we got in, if yeah. we started doing what what our manifest destiny is, like if we started executing the real mission all of a sudden, because you know like national and and global geopolitics or whatever like required it because of a of of a situation that where we're in a shooting war with a national like a big national uh, actor it's like Mm -hmm. a lot of those all of a sudden career development boards wouldn't matter all of a sudden (laughs) like like verifying your NFAS and like doing all these stupid gmts and all these collateral like motorcycle safety who cares like be a grown up. Thanks. <laughs> like, you know, like all this, all these collateral duties would just melt away and, and no one would care about them anymore. Yeah. And, and so it's like, like, cause you, you even saw like a, a real like low level case study of during COVID all of a sudden a bunch of stuff became unimportant. 
Like nobody yep. cared if you had a haircut anymore because COVID. Nobody cares if you're in the office anymore because COVID. Like you just get in all of a sudden, all these require like P at PRT. Who cares? Just don't be fat. Like no just one cared. No one cared. All and even of a sudden, if you're fat, just telework. Just yeah. Now all of a sudden, nobody cared about things that are supposedly important because COVID. Yeah. And it's like yeah. So if we started, if ships start getting shot at. All of a sudden, no one's going to care about the uh, things that a lot of sailors spend the lion's share of their bandwidth on. And so that would, you know, all of a sudden we're going to be and if we get in a shooting war and all of a sudden ships are getting blown up in, in the conduct of their mission, all of a sudden damage control training and trainers are going to become priority number one. So yeah, why isn't that the, the thing now? Like, why aren't we doing that now? Because. The federal government is a is reactionary yeah, pe force. The peacetime military it becomes yeah, the bureaucracy of the peacetime military. A, is it's not a problem until absurd. it's a problem. But I you that's know. what I that's what I have such a conflict with is I, I don't you. understand. I we know we know what our purpose is like yeah. and, and like so I just did that the podcast that's out now like um, which you know this will come out weeks from from that but right. when i did this is eod chief zip he, he asked me he goes well what's the navy's mission and i basically said to kill people and break their stuff and yeah. he goes he, and he was like basically getting to the point of like it's to it's it's maritime superiority like maintaining control of sea lanes for the purposes mm -hmm. that we need sea lanes for i'm like okay yeah i read all the national policy documents too <laughs> but like really it's to kill people and break their stuff and like he's he's like yeah i don't disagree but and then he made his point but like i'm just saying like so so if we're if we understand even in those national policy documents we understand that the real reason that this exists is so that we can make like dominate the sea lanes like dominate other people's military and project power in all the ways that we're capable of doing via all the mechanisms that we have available, which really just distills down to kill people and break their stuff to get to the national <laughs> goals that we have in whatever conflict we're talking about. So it's like, if that's what our, our like prime directive is, if that's the mission, the purpose of the organization existing, that should be like what we, sh we spend the lion's share of our bandwidth on. And yeah, it's like, we're like, I don't feel like we do. That's because we're, we're, we're forced to comply with the national defense authorization act, which is a bunch of Congress people telling us what we're spending our money on. It's right. Not, like, you know, right. But so like, okay, like <laughs> motorcycle safety, like, do I need an E six to devote any of their bandwidth to that? Or can I just like hire a civilian at, fleet and family or something anywhere i'd make something new i don't care nwr yeah. that you have to go do your motorcycle safety thing with them and it's completely outsourced and like yeah. career counselors should be a shore duty that nc's man that is never like it's a it's a major command collateral duty on a submarine like why why i like it a career yeah. an nc could sit at a submarine squadron or a couple events like you could have a shop of ncs sitting at a submarine squadron and they could do everything like you could mm -hmm. completely outsource it. So why are they worried about that kind of crap? You know, like that. I, I, I want, agree with you, man. Yeah. I want my war fighters focused on being war fighters. And we have all this yeah. stupid crap that we do that is completely unrelated to that end. And I don't understand why. <laughs> like, like drug testing. Why? 
Like, okay, I'm probably, probably, I'm, I'm sure there's somebody can point out a case. I probably don't have any cocaine underway. So like if I'm on deployment, do I need to get like if you're if you're going into like if you're porting? okay fine. Like if you're if you're um, pulling into a foreign port, there's a risk of them be, you know, getting illicit substances, blah, blah, blah. But like in port, there should be a mechanism for that. And then, yeah, maybe somebody does it while we're in foreign port. But like even then, like foreign ports, you could largely outsource them unless there's not a naval base. But it's just like mm-hmm. just there, a lot of this burden could be completely offloaded to shore based entities that either exist or don't exist right now. And you could then just focus on on war fighting like and, and I don't I mean, there's so much crap that sailors spend so much of their bandwidth on that has nothing to do with their jobs. And, and their um, jobs, yeah. the being the thing that they they are trained to do primarily to affect the mission of the Navy as a whole, like their contribution, whether it's cooks being cooks or whether it's corpsmen being corpsmen. It's like, I want the most badass corpsmen that we have on a ship. Like, because I can tell you, like, I had a couple of IDCs that took the, the we call it emerging emergency medical assistance team. Uh, it's EMAT. Okay. Basically a glorified stretcher bearer. Unless you have an IDC that cares. I had like two that ever cared enough to give us any kind of like real training. Um, and then we had one that was like trying to send us all to T triple C and like, and I'm, but to me, I'm like, yes, do that because I have one IDC on the submarine. What if doc gets stuck doing like, what if somebody needs his undivided attention or what if he gets blown up? Yeah. Yeah. What if Doc is the one that like gets caught in a space and overcome by smoke and now he's dead? And like, dude, I'm telling you, most submarines would be completely effed. Like unless like so we had on my last boat, there was like an FT that was a, a EMT qualified guy. But even that, I mean, like it's a lot better than like an EMAT guy with no training, but like it's way less better than that IDC. Like a <laughs> right. sub IDC is like, Jesus, they're amazing. Yeah. And so like, smart. yeah. And, it, and it, it's like a single point of failure for every submarine in the Navy. And I just, it blows my mind that like that component of it. Cause if you think about like, when you think about um, the San Francisco, right. Runs into an underwater sea mount. It's a mass casualty event, essentially. Well, that actually was an underwater mountain, but it's neither here nor there. But like uh, there's a bunch. I mean, there's a got one guy died, I think. And then there's a whole bunch of pretty gnarly injuries that if that doc either one was the casualty or two, which I mean, was totally, totally within the realm of possibility. I'm sure he got dinged up at least. But then also like, I mean, with mass casualty event, if like if your EMAT team's not trained, like good luck. Like yeah. all I'm, yeah, I mean, all you're, all you're, I'm basically going to be like the hold pressure on this wound guy and a stretcher bear. Otherwise, like I don't, I, I don't know what to do because you never trained me, and because the Navy has never taken it seriously enough to like send us to a school or something, or just Jesus, like detail more corn into submarines. Like got like between a hundred and I'm trying to think of what's on like an LA boat, like a hundred and twenty, I think, to like all the way up to like two hundred on the largest submarine crews. So it's like that's a destroyer almost so it's like how many corpsmen are on a destroyer like five six like there's got to be on a destroyer well still i mean there's got to be there's a division there's there's several so it's like 
I mean, God. And like, thank God, like when I talked to James Parlier during that episode about the coal bombing, thank God he was a doc previously because he mm-hmm. was that's what he was doing for the majority of like the just immediately following the bombing was he was triaging and like treating and like thank god there was him plus like he thought he lost his his corpsman chief and then finds out later that he was treating people in another area of the ship but like you know like he was up on the uh forward end of the ship i forget the names surface ships but like he was on i think the forward end of the ship topside like treating people and yeah and triaging and whatever and and i think he had a baby doc with him um, mm-hmm. but yeah it was man like thank god he was a doc because to have that many people to treat in that kind of an event and only have you know what if doc got blown up like then what then what if yeah. he was a what if he was a yeoman by trade you know like yeah. good lord i think so it's like i think at least yeah. a good part of it for me is like there's gonna be the what ifs you could what if yeah. yourself a, like forever you know what i mean but like Ultimately, when it comes down to it, when ships are shooting at ships, stuff's going to get very messy and it's going to be right. ugly. And it's, and it's like there's no it doesn't matter how much training happens. Like. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly, but I think. I think that at, when it gets that chaotic and messy, it's like so like the example I like um, and, and I'm not claiming to be some high level strategic expert on military strategy strategy and operations but like the way the the example i always think of is uh, and I, I forget where i heard it or learned it but it was basically a description of what happened during d-day where um like there were the airborne had a ton of missed drops people were scattered to the winds nobody ended up where they're supposed to be um same thing with like the delivery of everybody from the all the amphibious landings like people got scattered on all kinds of plate they weren't where they were supposed to be everybody was scattered to the winds right what happened ncos did what ncos do officers took charge compiled units went and completed their objective right but like they didn't they weren't paralyzed with fear or like paralyzed by inaction because oh god i'm not where i'm supposed to be so i can't do anything because i don't know what i'm supposed to do they just like figured it out like hodgepodge together little units and went and did what needed to get done and um i think that when you're in that like type of a scenario so if we're thinking about like uh, a mass casualty event on a ship where like something had a terrorist attack or just like ship to ship combat or whatever. Yeah. Where the more training and, and like muscle memory you have built in because you have all those reps in, in like mock circumstances that are similar. Like you were saying how boot camps preparing you for that mass casualty event so that you don't freeze. Like you continue building on that so that you have specific muscle memory to that ship. Like, Yes, it's going to create a lot of chaos, but when I know exactly what to do. Like if you say mercy report, mercy report, fire in the four compartment, fire in like wherever, yeah. like name a space. And I know exactly where that space is. I know exactly what to do, how to do it. And they'll say like class alpha fire or whatever, blah, blah, blah. They'll give me all the descriptions. So I know where to go, what to do, what extinguishing agent to bring, what hose is close with, that I need to bring, who's going where. Like I, we have a the watch quarter station bill. We have all the things. So it's like, we do so many reps that it's like, I know if I'm the off going diver officer of the watch and I'm sitting on the mess decks, I know exactly know where, where I need to go, what I need to do. Like 
the different, I know what largely what everyone else is doing so that, cause like I, I'm in, in my capacity as an offgoing supervisor watch, I'm going to be a supervisor somewhere. So I'm in charge of like DC, uh, central or, or, uh, yeah. DC or for DC or whatever. And I'm like delivering resources to places and, and ordering people to do certain things, go get this equipment, go ch- charge these bottles, go do this thing, whatever. And so you're directing traffic and it's, I need to understand all the, the intricacies of everything that's happening everywhere. And so like the, the, there's no replacement for those reps when you get into a real circumstance, because like mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. fire I've been a part mm-hmm. of on a real submarine, it gets extinguished so goddamn fast because we know it's real when there's not drills in the plan of the day. Like <laughs> we still respond fast for drills, but you've never seen people move so fast when they know it's real because they understand the gravity of the situation. And so that the training kicks in. So there, cause, cause it's like, um, it's like learning anything, right? Like you, you crawl, walk, run. So, so if I, if you're just learning a thing, like you're not going to respond as fast, but I have so many reps and so much muscle memory on, a damage control response in a submarine that I can like sprint through what I'm doing and I can do five <laughs> things at once. So it's like you, you just see the most ridiculously fast and like efficient and effective damage control response that you could possibly imagine because we have so many reps, like we do, we do it in our sleep. And so when yeah. it happens and we get woken up and like, but you just see like the host teams are there faster than they are for a drill when they're already awake and like half ready to go. Cause they already kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's like, they'll get there faster from dead sleep than they do like it for a real <laughs> event than they do for drills. Yeah. And it's, and it's because of those repetitions and that training and that muscle memory. So I just uh, think yeah. that there's so much more we could do and, and yeah, I've I don't seen disagree. the result of it. I don't disagree that we should we should have more reps. I, I think that that yeah. makes more sense. I think that the training that we do needs needs to be taken a little more seriously. Um, I, I yeah, I I agree with you. There. It's like a, I agree. It would need you. to be like a culture shift. I would think too, like because that's a large to, part of it. That's yeah, a large you would part need of it. to take away a lot of the other burdens and able to to enable like you know yeah. the type of bandwidth that would be required because. Like I can tell you a lot of what happens on submarines is like when you're doing the mission, it's like a lot of this stuff does get shelved. Like we just are like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that right now because I have more important things to do. And then when we get home, we catch up and it's like, mm-hmm. it is what it is. And we just figure it out. But like, that's a lot of times what happens. It's like, whatever, whatever's important is whatever's important. And it's like, we're not going to, I'm not worried about stuff that's not important when I'm, you know, operating the submarine. So. I don't know, man. I gotta eat some food, dude. I'm dying. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I'm starting to run on fumes, and I got. Yeah, a I was gonna say it's gonna be up. Pretty late really there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, man, it was a great conversation, bro. I appreciate Hell yeah. it. Dope. It's always fun. I am I gonna it. get a? Am I gonna get a foundations episode anytime soon, Mister? I'm living that's the. A, that's a, I'm living that's the a, high life. <laughs> I'm living the high life for sure, but that's a that's a, yeah. I I have like a half a script written right now. It's yeah. just every time I think about it, I'm just yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm <laughs> I'm writing it. I just I'd rather yeah. sit here with my wife and drink a beer right I now. <laughs> it is, I get it, man. I'm doing yeah. the same thing with all the home improvement crap, getting the house ready. So yeah, like, I I know I need to do it, but it's also like I don't want to. Like I just yeah. I hate that's, it. It's but, uh, 
Adulting's I'm working hard. it through and talk <laughs> through like um, the nature versus nurture dynamic as regards to leadership. That's my plan. Yeah. at least. I like it. So, All right. Yeah. Man. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. This was, yeah, fun. bro. <laughs> always. All right. I hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, it's always fun talking to Andrew. We we keep in touch, but uh, he's been busy with all his schools and stuff. So I'd, I'm giving him a hard time about the episodes and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, he's he's his schedule has mellowed out a little bit. So I know he's working on one right now. Um, but yeah, he's got a lot going on. He's got a big transition in his uh, life and career with the whole, uh, you know, finishing the schools and then PCSing to go to be a division officer on a big deck so it'll be it'll be good times it'll be fun to see his experience and we'll periodically check in with him and uh, i think it'll be fun to learn how that experience unfolds the things he learns the challenges he encounters during his first uh, officer tour especially like getting back on the podcast to like relay those things well where he also has the lens of an enlisted person and having gone through the entire career enlisted all the way up to chief like he was a chief for I think a year or a little more than a year uh, where he got to do all those things, get all those perspectives. And then now he's going to be going through the junior officer experience as well. So I think it'll be pretty fun and pretty enlightening to check in with him periodically and, and do these uh, downloads of all the lessons learned from all the challenges he encounters and on a big deck uh, as a divo. And it sounds like he's gonna be the hazmat guy first in the supply side. And then, um, go from there but yeah it'll be i think it'll be really interesting and i think he's going to learn a lot probably <laughs> have a lot of frustrations but also develop a lot uh as a leader um so it'll be fun and i think i'll learn a lot and you will all learn a lot as a result uh if you need anything from us hit us up don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com you can facebook message us don't give up the ship podcast or you can dm us on instagram reddit or discord at dguts podcast if you want to support us you go to dgutspodcast.com there's a donate link on the website uh, also you can go to don't give up the ship apparel uh, it's dgutsapparel.com. You can get some Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. Uh, you can like, share, subscribe, and review us on all the platforms for all the things for podcasts and social media. Share the content, tag people, whatever. That always helps as well. Uh, and with that, that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening, and don't give up the ship. <laughs> <laughs>